You are listening to episode six of the Rocky Talkie podcast. I am your host, Rocky Riccatoni. You know, in the years between 1976 and 1984, Canada was the very proud exporter of one of the funniest, most cutting-edge comedy shows to ever hit the platform at that time. The show was called SCTV. And if you know anything about SCTV, you know a couple of things immediately. Number one, it was far out and very, very funny and very unique in its own right. Number two, you also know that it launched a multitude of Canadian talent into the stratosphere. And of those Canadians, many of them were from Hamilton. And if you're a Hamiltonian like I am, you were always bragging and proud of the fact that guys like Dave Thomas, Eugene Levy, and Martin Short came from your hood. So I'm very proud of the fact, and we're also recording this episode in Hamilton as well as we speak. So this brings me to tonight's show and tonight's guests. I have the brain trust with me tonight of a new show that's been launched on the Five Network called This Is The Thing. And I have to tell you, it's very funny. And it caught my attention the second I saw it. And I wanna say this as well. Funny is not easy. And when when you land on something that's authentically and genuinely funny, you take notice. It's like if you're a musician and someone says they can play, you're always wondering, can you really play? And then you see them at a gig, it's like, okay, you can play. We're going to get into all of that, but I want to say this as my launching pad. I can't help but wonder and think that what I'm seeing with this group of people is the beginning of something special and the beginning of something big. I wonder Is it similar to somebody sitting in their house in 1982 and watching a young John Candy and saying, this kid's going somewhere? I'm here to say these guys are going somewhere, and I'm taking the opportunity now to get them on before I can't ever get them on again, because uh, I believe that they've tapped into something, and it's refreshing. And and I say that with complete genuine, uh, genuine confidence. Plus, I'm proud of the fact that they're from Hamilton. So anytime you start waving the local flag and you're actually good at what you're doing and you've managed to make it on television, kudos. So tonight, we're going to start talking to the, like I said, the Brain Trust, people who are producing, writing, starring in the show called This Is The Thing. We have Mike Mitchell, Brandon McIntosh, Tyler Shazma, and Ashley Sloggett. Guys, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, James. <laughs> wow. yeah, like that intro was... I'm a little teary. Said that one in the stratosphere, buddy. Yeah, that was. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, man. I had to come up with something because you guys spilled your drinks all over you when you got here. I yeah, felt really, really bad. Soaking. <laughs> soaking I tried. Food. Just for people who can't see anything, we offered them some, you know, Labatt 50, and two of the two, all of you opened them and they all exploded all over them, all over my guests. You guys were here maybe 10 minutes. Anyway, we got that out of the way. So, um, I'm so happy you guys are here. The What seems to be happening with this podcast is it's kind of a long shot deal, and so far it's been working out. I'm reaching out to people that I have no concept of who they are other than what I've seen them do with their hands, and you guys have been gracious enough to say, yes, we'll come on and chat with you. So I've seen what it's like to pitch things. I've been in a band. I've talked to record labels. It's seemingly impossible, and I feel like comedy is five degrees harder than that. How in the heck did you guys manage to get onto television at this age you're in right now? You're all, you're all in your, your 30s, early, early mid-30s? Yeah, so early, th- early mid-30s. That's a feat, especially in Canada. So, so let, me, let me know the genesis of how this all happened. Mikey, do you want to take this one away? All right, I'll take this one away. I'm going to move the mic closer yep. to me for this one. Um, 
Yeah, I think, honestly, I, I feel a little bad saying this, but COVID was the best thing that could have happened for this show. Hmm. Because, uh, so in a previous life, I was a marketing manager at Sunrise Records. And Tim, that's in the show, stars in the show, is a former um, VP. So we shared an office and we would just wow. kind of like just talk all day and like just kind of banter back and forth. And I brought Brandon and Shazma in to film some content for the uh, for the for the chain, I guess. And the, the like the basic idea I had was to have Tim in this uh, like vinyl countdown show, like a, like basically like a web series. Just have Tim. Tim knows more about music than anybody I've ever met in my entire life. Like, dude is an encyclopedia. It's crazy, but he's naturally hilarious. Yeah. So like we started filming a couple of these, and I was like, oh, this guy's like really funny. We got to do something more with this. Uh, I think we were like a month and a half into shooting all of those series and COVID hit. Right. So it, things like kind of ground to a halt. And I saw this post on, on a Facebook group, a Hamilton Facebook group called Lights Camera Hamilton from a uh, development producer at Bell that was saying like, hey, we're accepting pitches. So I sent him an email and said like, hey, I had this fully fleshed out idea, like not at all fully fleshed out, but like just kind of bullshitted my way in and said like, yeah, this is what it's going to be. This is exactly how things are going to go. Do you think we can do this? And it was supposed to be like a quick 15 minute chat on the phone when we first started talking. We talked for almost an hour. And like I got off the phone and basically, like I, I, I maybe texted Chasma right away and was like, hey man, like we gotta have a meeting. And we, we sat down at, for lunch at Popeyes, <laughs> like around the corner <laughs> from the office. Like, yeah, we were shooting stuff then and we knew it was good. So Mike just picked up the phone and then like, it ended up being a good conversation. Yeah, I, I basically said like, hey, I have this idea. I told Belle that I have a, like an idea for a show if it gets to this point, like we'll, we'll go through like the pitch and, and do all of this. But if it gets to this point to make the show, like you guys want to make one? Wow. And it was just like, yeah, totally. So you hustled your way into this thing. By oh, happenstance. I lied you, through my teeth. Yeah. You don't come, you don't come <laughs> from a background of production or you did a Ryerson grad. You didn't. That's amazing. No, yeah. but that's where Brandon and I come in because we've been shooting stuff for years and like sketch stuff and comedy stuff. And we've gone through the pitch ring in Toronto and right. stuff a couple times with different shows. And got to a point where we were just doing videography stuff and shooting music videos and cool. comedy when we could. Because, like, everyone across here has all done stand-up in some shape or form and, uh, and are all still in it as much as we can be with the weird world. So at that point, we were doing a lot of stand-up and shooting a lot of stuff. And then Mike brought us in to shoot music videos for Sunrise Records and do the Tim thing. We're like, Tim's fucking hilarious. Yeah. Let's start writing around that. So when he came to us and said, like, I got this pitch idea for five, it was like, all right, it's go time. Let's start writing scripts. Let's start putting a pitch package together. Let's, we know how to do this. Right. We've done it before. Let's, and we'll and you just happen to have a force of nature like Tim in the mix of things that you Tim's can just... Tim's so funny. Like, it's like, that's <laughs> I'm we're... hoping he would show up tonight. I'm like, I'm going to ask these guys some questions. So <clears throat> Sunrise Records, first of all, I love that because I'm, I'm 43. I'm a musician, and record, record stores were everything and sunrise was one of the ones he used to always go to i still owe billy billy corgan five twenty five dollars because i stole a siamese dream album from him in 1995 <laughs> he is fine but I, you know if i ever see him i'm gonna tell i'm gonna own up to him but um i love that that's a thing and that you're shooting at that so so many questions i, I gotta ask what kind of chutzpah does it take to decide to go on stage and try comedy <laughs> Yeah. It's more than music, I'll tell you that right now. I don't know, it takes a lot of people kind of behind you pushing you, I think. A lot of, you know, so it just starts with your friends saying, hey, you're funny, you should go try. Right. Easy as that, but yeah. But like getting up and actually doing it's a whole different animal, I think. 
Absolutely. Ash, you've done both. I mine's a, a little different. I have no friends that say you should do it. <laughs> they say you're funny at parties, but you should not be on stage. No, I'm just kidding. But I was a musician first, kind of like yourself, Rocky. Actually, all of us have done music in some shape or form, right. or like grew up with it, um, and that's maybe why we're all like kindred. Yeah. Same cloth, but the, the uh, theater kids. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I loved being in a band and I loved playing, but I hated gear. Mm. And I was like, oh, stand up is like when I play solo, but like without having to bring gear. And then I just sort of like tried it and I've always loved comedy. I was a theater kid, like did improv and stuff, but uh, I always wanted to try stand up and that was sort of like the amazing the Everest at the time good for and, you yeah and then and, and just just to just to reiterate what you're saying that gear thing is a real thing like <laughs> okay. that enough to make you change careers for oh, yeah. sure yeah um, so what was the first how organic was the process of going okay they've just green lighted us we're doing this now was there like a mad scramble to go okay we better get our shit together let's start actually becoming a production team and doing this how hard was that for you guys to take an idea and turn it into deadlines, production, and and budget, and all that stuff. We just started doing it right away. Like once Mike said, "There's an idea," we kind of started building the skeleton of like we're putting the pitch package together and starting to write scripts. And then once it got greenlit, it was like, "All right, we've already hit the ground running because we got a bunch of pre-production out of the way. Let's just call, start calling our friends and calling in favors and like." We're lucky enough to know a few people in the production world, right. camera operators, cinematographers, sound guys. So we just started calling up people and like, hey, nobody's shooting right now. We're aiming to shoot like October, November. Nobody was working, so everybody had free time. Like we got the best guys we knew to come work for Peanuts. <laughs> it's literally all, it's all about who you know. Eh? Yeah. If, they, if they like you and you know them. And that was good. our whole thing too, is like, let's create like a super wicked crew of like-minded individuals that just want to make something rad. Amazing. Yeah. yeah, and the whole crew just meshed great. Like, everyone had an amazing time. Like, people had fun because, yeah, there's nothing else going on. Yep. Other guys would just be working on, like, Tim Hortons commercials and stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. So the yeah. chance to work on something creative was, I think, a good break for them. Yeah, something where everyone's, like, everyone on set is fucking funny and yep. trying to make something funny. So, like, I was directing the thing, but my whole gig was just to laugh after every take. <laughs> and be like, All right, we got it. Let's do another weirder one. Right. I think the fun thing, too, is um, these guys brought me in sort of a little after things were in momentum. And they like I remember Mike reached out in July, like the second they got greenlit. He's like, hey, like, I know you're in film. Like, you think you might want to, like, AD this show, like Assistant Direct? Like, da, 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 da. And Shaz remembered, like, a Facebook post I made, like, months earlier. And we knew each other because I was bartending at Levity, the comedy club okay. that's in show so it just all kind of like came together um, but what really worked was like we had a strict no assholes policy and that was like very important to us like Shaz I, I kind of do for everything I yeah. work on no yeah. egos absolutely. no assholes oh, yeah. absolutely anyone's yeah. cranky get them the fuck yeah. out of here yeah. let's have fun yeah like we're all here to have fun so like I put that rule in place right away and then yeah like I saw Ash say she was good at call sheets <laughs> and like I'm like we need somebody who's good at keeping us organized so right. we don't get too squirrely right and she did a great job at that thanks Shaz <laughs> so I'm, I'm getting the sense that there's been a lot of organic uh, serendipity and yeah. for me that's a really good tell that 
you're onto something and, and that it's meant to be uh, within reason. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. So are you, I was gonna say it's been really, it's been really weird that everything, like knock on wood, but everything that we wanted to work out worked out hmm. uh, in one way or another. Like even some of the like the bigger asks that we had for bands or comedians or whatever, like when they couldn't make it, mm. somebody else is like, oh yeah, no, no, I can totally do that. And we would like kind of take a look at the script or kind of look at the scenes like, oh yeah, this is actually going to work out better. better. Everything was for, always better. Amazing. Yeah, it's, yeah, literally everything fell into place. And there were so many times like, I don't know, I don't know how many times I said it to you guys on set, but like in between takes, we'd be sitting there and like, we're doing this. Are we seriously doing this? Like, this, yeah, is, this, this is, is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you were ready for the whirlwind we were throwing you in of like, yeah, we're fucking doing it. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. So, yeah. so is, season, is season one wrapped? Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's done. And so when do you find out season two is going to happen? We actually just talked about this. Oh, we almost kissed. That was weird. <laughs> uh, we just talked about this on Tuesday. Um, so we talked to the folks at Bell kind of like as soon as we delivered everything. And, like, I've been on them since, I don't know, like, February, saying, okay, when are we going to do this? What's up? And I get it from their point of view. They just want to wait until it's, like, it hasn't even been out for a month yet. Right. So they want to see how it's going. But the feedback so far has been, like, crazy for me anyway. I don't know about you guys, but, like, I never thought that yeah. we would have coverage in The Spectator mm-hmm. or Exclaim or, like, any of these, like, big publications. So I think, like, we're getting a good amount of buzz for it. We're supposed to find out. We're supposed to have a conversation, like, early June. Uh, and I know that this is technically early June, but like, yeah, hopefully, hopefully yeah, yeah, yeah. it's coming, it's coming yeah. down the pipe and yeah. we're ready for it too. Like, Sweet. We're already putting our heads together and writing and getting shit together. Cause if it comes, yeah. we'll do it. And if it doesn't, we'll find another way to do it. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly it. I think our superpower too has been like the amount of traction that we've gotten has not been because we just delivered the show and sat back. Right. I think. A huge asset is that like Mike's background is marketing. I did advertising. Like we definitely nerd out about that component where like Brandon and Shaz were the surgeons with the episodes and making like every edit like as tight as it could be and meeting every criterion requirement that like Bell wanted and all of that right. while still maintaining our creative integrity. Right. And then we were able to, like, well, mostly Mike, like, would send off these press releases and really get that, like, marketing, like, PR gamut going. Right. And, you know, to them, I don't know if they are used to people that, like, pushing something they believe in so much. But, yeah, I mean, we got it, right? So. I think what you're explaining is kind of the feeling I somehow got by watching the show. I'm like, this is just, they've got lightning in a bottle. They've caught something, and it's working. Um, so... Okay, cool. So, I, Canadian television. I grew up expecting the fact that it sucked. Um, I was a huge Degrassi nerd, but Degrassi was never really an obvious city. It was just a city, but we all knew it was Toronto. Uh, Kings and King, uh, King of Kensington uh, was a show in the seventies that was obviously a Toronto show. And then you had Kim's Convenience. And then you guys come along, and it's like, hey, we're in Hamilton, <laughs> which I love. What was that even a thought for you guys, or was it a no-brainer? Like it's got to be about Hamilton. Uh, yes. So no matter what. So the nice thing with like with Five specifically, and this is like for sure what helped get us on TV, is they do like Five TV One is like cable access for Bell. Okay. So like they'll do like a lot of community-based stuff, but for the most part, it's like 
hey, check out this chef in Niagara. Right. Check out what they're doing out in Halifax. Let's go fishing. Like, and like, that's, it's cool stuff. That's how Ed the Sox started. That's exactly. And uh, Tom Green, same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. And it's like, you just get your foot in and do whatever. So they don't typically do scripted stuff. And that was like one of the first things that, that Bell had said to me when I talked to him. I was like, it's going to be like half scripted, but like, trust me on this right. one. Like, just, I, I, the amount of times I said, like, trust me, like, I know how we're going to do this. It's going to be all right. I think that I said it enough that they're like, I guess we better trust them. Like, I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, like, part of it and part of the sell was, like, it will be Hamilton-focused. There's going to be Hamilton bands, Hamilton comics. So, like, you're going to hit all those checks it. for Hamilton. But also, like, this is what we would be making anyway. So right. it's not, like, a stretch to be, like, yeah, we're going to do this in Hamilton. Or, yeah, it's going to be Cambridge. Or, like, whatever the city right. might have been. Like, it was always going to be Hamilton. It was always going to be Hamilton comics. And, like, a big thing, too, that, that we started talking about early on, like, I know all of these guys from comedy, music, whatever else, but all of the comics that we have on the show have helped me or Shaz or Brandon yeah. out in some capacity at some point over all of the years that we've been doing it. So it was, Amazing. like, a chance to be, like, you know what? I know you guys are auditioning. I know you guys are trying to get in shows and trying to build your own right. roles and stuff. Like, let's just do it, man. If, if, it, if it's going to be a success for us, it's going to be success Amazing. for everybody involved. Like, it's this reciprocal it. community thing. Yeah. Very cool. You know, like I worked in Toronto for about three years and uh, an interesting thing happened. No one was talking shit about Hamilton. And everyone was talking about this like mysterious place, Hamilton. I'm like, I know that place. Yeah. I lived there. <laughs> but uh, it reminds this reminds me a little bit of like, it's not the same thing at all. But like in the 90s when I was coming up as a musician in high school, like Seattle was everything. But Seattle was like over there. And then there was a movie that came out with by Cameron Crowe called Singles. And it was about 30-somethings in Seattle. And the music soundtrack was life-changing and the aesthetic you got to see this like oh that's seattle i get it now uh and there's a lot of people that still don't know about hamilton that are that think it's like a smokestack town and it's it's a piece of crap it that the the paradigm has changed a lot but there's still non-believers i think that this show is going to help with that for sure yeah and that was the intent too like i think we once we like tapped into that early on like hamilton is going to be its own character it's Mm -hmm. the set of the show but it's a character like I, I used to live in Toronto, Brandon and I did too, and you and Hamilton is where you'd always hear about stuff was, was rumbling in Hamilton. The yeah. last 15, 20 years, the art scene in Hamilton, yeah. whether it be art or music or comedy or whatever, has been spectacular. And like, guys would come into Toronto and be like, those are Hamilton guys, I gotta get out there, so I moved to Hamilton. Right on. And so like, we've been saying the whole time, like, it's Mike's love letter to Hamilton, my thank you letter to Hamilton. I love that. Because Hamilton embraced me, and like, that we should say like, levity, the comedy club there is like Patrick and everything he's doing at Levity has been like so helpful to our show, but like to the Hamilton comedy right scene on. and Manola Santanos, who comes from Hamilton, he's one of the best we have in the country and I've toured the country with him and it's like, the Hamilton's got the best. Yeah. It's here and they still live here and they work here every night and get out. And Very cool. So what, so you're not a Hamilton kid, you came? No, I'm not a Hamilton kid. Okay, so how long have you been here? I um, I've lived here for two and a half years, awesome. and I'm not currently in Hamilton. And I feel I don't know if I should say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not currently in Hamilton, but if I had to move to I'm out in the country in the sticks somewhere in the cornfield town. But if uh, I had to move back to a city, I'd move to Hamilton. I think because if you're making a show about Hamilton, you got you got to pass no problem. Yeah. I, I, how about you guys? Are you guys natives or? No, I'm I'm not actually not from. This, I came this, from London. This side of the table is like a yeah. little, but we just like love Hamilton. Yeah, and all love our Hamilton. friends are here. I got okay. a billion friends in Hamilton, and then that side of the table, there you're. And you're a London kid. Yeah, but I just come here for comedy mostly. Cool. That was my first real experience with Hamilton. 
other than that, I was just passing it on the highway and no real reason. <laughs> on to your stop. way to somewhere so, else, yeah. You know, yeah. showing up at the bars and the cafes and stuff. I'm like, it's not so bad. I like this place. Yeah, if you know, for the first time in like 10 years, you don't need to leave the city to have a good night out. No, there's so <laughs> many great places. How about you guys? Yeah, I um, don't hold it against me. I'm from Shelbyville, Burlington. Really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I was born in Hamilton, so I wear that okay. uh, street cred. But okay. um, <laughs> honestly, I work so much in this city. Like, there's so much film happening in this city. So like I work for a studio that's down in like the industrial sector. Um, and I've been coming here for like 20 years to do music. This was the first city that really opened its arms to my band, um, which RIP, but that's okay. <laughs> but we really like cut our teeth here mm -hmm. as a rock band. And like the St. Hollywood was integral in us playing, the Casbah, yep. like Absinthe, and then so that was like a lot of firsts and then that's my like pull here but i also love the juxtaposition of the city where it's like you have all this like gritty decay but then you also have this like you drive to the country or you like you're you can go to the water so you know it's um i say that i live in hamilton and i sleep in burlington i like that of. you guys have great answers about that by the way <laughs> and you mr mike, mike? baby boy I, yeah, I, yeah i'm born and raised here. yeah I, I, yeah i'm a total townie with this stuff yeah yeah. What high school did you go to? Uh, St. Thomas More. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Everything has to get signed off by Mike before anything is. Does this check out culturally? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so here's a question. How do you know something's funny when you're shooting a take? Because like on film or uh, on stage, you know immediately in a micro moment like this bomb or this was like this, we're killing it. How do you know you've got something that's going to be good and is going to translate and, and there's no reaction other than what you guys think is funny? Is that a trap? Does it work? Do you trust your instincts enough to know like, oh yeah, this is going to work? Has, has it failed? <laughs> I, I, I hope it hasn't failed. Like, that's the thing that keeps me up at night when we're editing this thing and when we're like leading up to getting it out the door. I was like, I, I hope the fuck it's funny, right. but I don't know. But uh, we just went with our guts and what we thought were funny. And like I said earlier, everyone on set was trying to make the funniest thing. So if we're all giggling at the end of the take, then, well, you got 15 people here laughing. Okay. Oh, you know, it's the same as open mic comedy. If it works in front of two people, maybe it'll work in front of 200. So yeah, we'll exactly. see. Exactly. It's all about doing what you think is funny and having right. confidence to do that. Right? Yeah, okay. so what we thought was good. Yeah. See, I know nothing about comedy, so I'm like, I have to ask those questions honestly. Yeah. I'm like, how does this work? Like, how do you... How do you figure this out? Like, if people ask me, like, how do you play guitar? How do you sing? How do you, it's, it's like, I, I don't know how to answer that question, but like, if you know it, you know it. Yeah, and there were definitely times like where Mike would be acting and I could see on your face where you're like, I don't know if that was funny. I'm like, trust me, bud. Wait yeah. till we get it all smashed together. It's, it was funny. But like, I remember too. So our first day of shooting, like real day of shooting. So we did some exterior stuff at Levity. Um, but when we did the interior shots at the Winking Judge, it was like, it was my, my, and I guess Tim's first time, like really yeah. acting. Um, I had a couple of lines when we did the exterior at Levity, but it's the open mic scene that we shot at the Winking Judge. And uh, the one comic that we had, Anthony Malekas, he plays like a ventriloquist uh, on the show. And we just gave him like very basic direction. It was like, listen, man, you're hilarious. Just whatever you think is going to be funny, by all means, I go with it. And yeah. I remember, like he, we cut on the on the his first take, and it was like explosion of laughter. Awesome. Like everybody yeah. in the room is like, "Oh, this is 
in a scene where there's not supposed to be any laughter, he was like killing the part. And like I knew that because it's Anthony. Anthony Malekis is a Hamilton comic, and he's hilarious every night I see him. So I knew just put him in that role, it'll be funny. Yeah, we wrote, were dying. Yeah, he wrote, he wrote a brand new five minutes of ventriloquism jokes <laughs> he's never done before. So yeah, we put funny people in every role, so it was kind of a just trust that you know. It was That's a lot of good. comics and funny people that we know. So pretty yeah. good formula, I would say. There weren't that many actors. <laughs> right. That's kind of. That's interesting. Just characters, actors right? aren't funny. That's another rule. <laughs> you know what? That's my assertion that com- comics make the best actors. Like, yeah, I mean, that's so. that's a pretty blanket statement. But like, when you see guys like Robin Williams pull out the big guns, yeah. it's like, oh my god, you can't touch this guy. He's good. Um, how many episodes do you guys have for the season? Five. Five? Is that a, a good number, or you, did you have to settle for a number? Did you want to do more than that? We had to settle on that one. Um, the, the contract with Bell was just like, we'll give you not a lot of money to make an hour of content. However, you guys want to split that up, go nuts. If you want to do six, 10-minute episodes, if you want to do an hour-long thing, okay. whatever, as long as it hits an hour. So like for the most part, the episodes are 12 minutes. I think I think episode three is like 10. Episode maybe 10. three is like nine and a half, but then episode two is like 14. And we were, we're, works, four, yeah. we're four minutes over the hour mark, but we like called them when we were cutting. We're like... We got four minutes to shave. And I'm like, oh, that's fine. That's cool, but, man. Yeah, we don't have to cut a bunch of jokes that we like. Yeah. There is stuff that we got cut that we liked, but I think we slimmed them down to a nice five episodes. Cool. It's cool. So I'm going to go down the line here with, with this question. Um, you know, I remember the first time I heard A Day in the Life by the Beatles, and it was like, I was, as cliche as it sounds, it was transcendental. I was like, oh, my God. I can tell you every, every moment a music, a music moment that altered my life where I was, what it smelled like in the room, what I was wearing. I'm sure most of you can say that about music, especially you, my musician friend. But let's talk about that moment where you realize you wanted to make someone laugh or you saw Richard Pryor stand up or Eddie Murphy and like, oh my God, I have to do that. What was, what was the defining moment um, in your life that has attributed to right now? We'll start with Mike. Oh my God, that's a tough one. Um, I... <laughs> Weirdly enough, we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, like all of us. Uh, I used to watch comedy at Club 54 huh. on TV on, back when it was on CH like all still the time. A hundred years ago. <laughs> yeah, man. My father's best friend, Gene, owns that club. Really? Yeah. Nice. Amazing. Yeah. Um, Done that club. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a tough club to do, eh? <laughs> like, it's a, it, is a, it is a hard one to do. It just feels like it's still 1996 in there all the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Time capsule. Um, so yeah, I used to watch Comedy at Club 54 at my grandparents all the time growing up. And I remember specifically, there's one joke that'll like, there's two guys that I remember specifically from 54. One was this guy, Derek Edwards, who's like hilarious, is a Canadian comedy legend. Don't remember any of his jokes, just like his stage presence. And I thought he was so funny. And then there's another guy, Tim Steves, who might live actually around here now. Um, I think he's in Toronto still. Oh, okay. Tim's so funny. He's hilarious. And he, so he had this one joke, and it was about... He stole two of my answers. Did he? <laughs> oh, no, both of them, Derek Edwards. And, yeah. Uh, so Tim Steves has this joke about uh, a pickle jar, and he was like, it's either like he's stoned eating pickles, and he looks down, and there's a phone number on the jar that says, like, uh, do you have any uh, questions or comments? Call 1-800-whatever. I'm already laughing. And I just think, like, who has... Pickle, who's calling with pickle comments? You, you, like, you call and you go, crunchy, and then hang up. And yeah. it's like... When I saw that, I was like eight or nine years old. I cried laughing. I thought it was the funniest thing in the world. I was like, that's the best. I want to right. do stuff like that. Right. So were you living as a frustrated 
uh, you know, corporate stiff working at Sunrise, and you finally have oh, a chance. Yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. Well, like I've been doing stand up for about five years. And, okay. Like, I fell into it kind of by accident. So like I used to do a radio show, and I was supposed to do this web series with this uh, this guy, and we started like kind of batting some stuff around on this pilot. I started talking to Patrick Coppolino, who manages Levity, who was on the writing staff of that. I told him that I wanted to do stand up, and he's like, "Oh, just come to a show. I'll introduce you to some guys." Uh, I went out to the, this uh, this pub, Emerson Pub. He introduced me to the showrunner, this guy, Mace Galoni, also from Hamilton. Maybe the funniest comic in, in Canada. I'm going to throw that yeah, out there right this now. Guy. <laughs> yeah, this guy. Yeah, this guy, Mace Galoni, who's like the best joke writer. He introduced me to Mace. He goes, this guy wants to do comedy. Get him a spot next week. And then it was just like that. It's like, oh, yeah, you have a spot next week. Cool. So he just threw me right into it. So, yeah, I've been doing it for about five years, but like these guys have been in it way I longer. I was there. We've talked about that. Yeah, I yeah, was yeah. there your first night because there's pictures from that night. <laughs> yeah, that's it's right. It's been documented. Yeah. Ash, how about you? Yeah. Um, the, the transcendental moment. <laughs> I have to say it was my super weird upbringing. My parents were always big comedy nuts, and we would just watch like 1970s SNL reruns. We would rent the Johnny Carson uh, Tonight Show tapes from Blockbuster across the street. Nice. Uh, I would watch those, and like I loved um, Karnak. Yes. So I would always like make up my own Karnak jokes. Um, there's like one sketch where he's with the guy from Dragnet, and they're doing a this bit called like the Copper Clapper Caper. And I memorized it, and I would like perform it on my diving board at my like parents' barbecues. But <laughs> that was your stage. That was Amazing. my stage. But I was also like I was weirdly shy, as like extroverted as I am. So I never really put the two together. Right. But I was just always a ham, and I still am a ham. Um, but yeah, just I guess like my influences growing up was like yeah, we would watch Faulty Towers and like all these obscure things for like a six-year-old to right. be watching. And, like, Spaceballs is my favorite movie of all time. Like, Mel Brooks is, like, my aspirational Brooks. goal. Like, I would, you know... Did you happen to see the Mel Brooks when with uh, Comedians in Cars getting coffee with Jerry Seinfeld when he visits him and hangs out with uh, Reiner, Rob Reiner's father, with Carl Reiner? Yeah, and he Excellent. hits his head. Oh, yeah. Excellent. It's so good. It's funny that you that you, you mentioned that era of comedy. I, I feel like that era of comedy, that era of television, or... Uh, to like the Tonight Shows, mm -hmm. the interview culture, the uh, noir film, anti-hero. Like yeah. the 70s was like yeah. a unique yeah. thing. And I love that you mentioned Faulty Towers. Like oh, the, you're, you're definitely like an old soul with that whole thing. Yes. That's very, very cool. And I feel like that that lends itself. I, I It's interesting. It's like music, what influences you. I think what, what you grew up with comedy-wise is going to affect your, your art. Yeah. And to be honest, I <clears throat> I have felt like it kind of holds me back sometimes because m my perspective is kind of dated. Right. So I'm like, how do I take everything I've been influenced by and like learned or whatever, but like make it relevant for today? Right. So I am very green still in the stand-up world. I might have 10 sets under my belt. Cool. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm no stranger to comedy. Like improv is my was my jam. So Very cool. Yeah, that's kind of my... My spiel. Good answers, man. Thanks. You, sir. All right. Where do I begin? Um, same thing with Mike. Like, I love Club 54, Just for Laughs, Comedy Now, all those great comedy shows. And I'd run home from school to watch those specifically. Like, you know, other kids are going home to watch Pokemon and shit. I'm just like, no, no, man. Club I've, 54. I've never heard anyone 
ever tell me that? Yeah. <laughs> it was always like running home to see the Coca-Cola countdown, much music, or like tape, Star Wars uh, being you know on TV, like yeah, rushing home to watch Club 54. That's amazing. Yeah, 4 and 4.30, Club 54, and then it was just for laughs. So. Wow. Unless it was a repeat, I wouldn't watch it. But uh, yeah, it was just a lot of watching that. I don't think it was until high school, and like I just started borrowing friends' CDs, right? You swap CDs. Someone gave me a Dave Chappelle and a Dane Cook one, mm-hmm. and I just I was obsessed. I was just drive around listening to it over and over again. But what was it about it that that made you stick with it? Like obviously everyone likes humor and likes to laugh. It feels good. It's a human condition. But why did you stick with that? What kept you coming back? Um, I don't know. I think I was just always goofing off with my friends. Yeah, yeah. Just trying to, and it's also like when you actually decide to do it. it just, yeah, it's a lot of people leading up to it, actually signing up. It's better if someone just signs you up for you, so you right. make, yeah. makes it easier. But like, it, I feel like I got a little bit lucky, like Tyler and I, because we were out there in the comedy world before we even started. We were uh, filming a few comedians, like up and coming, bigger Canadian comics, following them, and we went all the way to New Brunswick for some comedy tour and everything. So we were around this comics all the time. We, we started bringing it up to them, like, we want to try it. Like, and we were talking about going to, like, Humber Comedy School, right? Should we go to that? That's a thing? Yeah. Yep. And they're like, no, man, they're just, just, just go. And, like, they're yeah. all just kind of give their own little advice. So I'm like, shit. <laughs> like, we're, we're, we're talking to the top brass here of Canadian comedy. Like, Awesome. I definitely have to do it now. Mm. Tyler. Yeah. Uh, we all like the same shit, obviously. So it's, like, all the stuff they said. But for me, it was 100% Derek Edwards. Already said that. <laughs> but everyone in, everyone in Canadian comedy should say Derek Edwards because he's literally like the white whale of Canadian comedy. He's the best we got, and he, he's so fucking funny. And for me, it was, I think it was a Just for Laughs set, or maybe it's comedy now. There's a canoe on stage, I know that. And he's riffing on the canoe, and he, he's so fucking funny because he's just an old guy from Timmins, right? But he's been doing it for so long and he's the funniest guy in the country so it was definitely Derek Edwards that made me want to do a stand do stand-up when I was a kid but then I was also like I had night terrors as a kid so I'd stay up and watch Letterman and mm. stuff with my dad and it, like Norm on Letterman was always big oh. I oh, yeah. uh, love love Norm McDonald <laughs> and uh, and Jim Carrey obviously mm-hmm. so when you start hearing like everyone's from fucking Canada yeah, man. so it's in our own backyard <clears throat> we can go do it like the I, I'm like eight or ten years old and I think the funniest person in the planet is Derek Edwards and you say that name you say that name to any like person on the street like I don't know Derek Edwards it's like the best stuff is in Canada but nobody knows it so why can't I do it too right you know so then it was just a matter of time and then I met Brandon in film school and we kind of like yeah like he said pushed each other to do it once we we were hanging around we're the only two that wanted to make stupid comedy yeah when you go to film school everyone wants to make dramas and romance and horror because comedy is hard and it's scared yeah lots of suicide movies (laughs) I can attest that I know many people that have done suicide movies yeah Yeah, it's a thing and clowns with balloons and like sad clowns Uh, with balloons so uh, we're like we want to make jokes and stuff that's funny so we were making comedy in film school and then it just transcended you're right though man like comedy is hard to make mm-hmm. it is it is yeah. and like that would that's kind of I, I honestly like why we're like no actors like we want to get as many comics in this as possible yeah because <laughs> actors know how to act funny right 
comedians are just funny. Like you just know, like you know timing. You know if something works or if it doesn't work. And like even stuff like, like Tim. One of the funniest things to me with Tim is like we had we wrote a script for Tim, and I like I wrote it in Tim's voice. He's never acted before. He's never done anything. But just from literally talking to him every single day right. at work in the office, yeah. I'm like, this is what Tim would say. Right. And there was a few times where like I, we'd give him the script, and he's like, you know what, man, I, I wouldn't say that. I'm going to say this instead. And we're like, oh, my God, that's yeah. so much funnier. And that's, yeah. that's why comics are great to work with because it's like, I wouldn't say that. Well, what would you say? Right. And then mm-hmm. do a take of that and like, okay, that was funny. Now try it this way and get weirder with it. And like, then you just start riffing. And when half our crew are also comics, we're all riffing on everything. Yeah, so we all have a different line for sometimes right. we're Sometimes we're doing eight takes just because we want to see how many bare naked ladies references <laughs> we can it's s- been, yeah. slam into like a fucking little 30 second bit and then Ash is like, guys, we've Please been doing don't. this for an hour. Like we gotta move on, but we got more, just keep uh, yeah. going. I was happily throwing like as many stupid references as I could. I think that t- uh, like you totally hit it there on the head though, Mike, where like, no actors, because I think, as a recovering actress, um, <laughs> I will say that I think comedians, uh, I'll say it, I think that they are more able to access the deep psychological trauma mm-hmm. that forces them mm-hmm. like, to go on stage, to like want to get that out in a way that's like cathartic or whatever. And maybe I'm projecting. But I agree with you. There's something to be said about I, that. I would say that I've, I've, in terms of the, discussing the human condition, honestly, um, it's been through a comedian's words of explaining life that I'm like, oh my God, he gets it. More than many musicians, and I know my musicians, but it's the, it's the comics. Like, you ever get inside Jim Carrey's head and get him real? Oh, it's yeah. like, no, yeah. Yeah, he's dark. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Whoa. So, yes, I agree with you. You've seen it. <clears throat> yeah. Wow, I have so many questions. Um, let's talk about Bill Cosby for a second. <laughs> nice jump off point. Now, it's not about Bill Cosby per se, but can you still laugh at someone's art when you know who they are? So, like, I am still not ready to let go of the Cosby show because I grew up with it and it yeah, makes me too. feel warm and fuzzy. And it's this, and the contradiction of what Mr. Cosby has done. And so it's like, it's like Michael Jackson. I still love Michael's music, but it's like all this stuff in the background. What is, is that a thing for you guys? Or do you, can you separate man from the. It's, it's the age old question of separating the art from the artist. Right. Right. And. As a woman, I will say, like, there's a lot of art that I consume that is extremely troubling, Mm -hmm. and I love the art, and maybe that makes me a bad feminist, maybe that makes me, like, not an ally, but at the end of the day, I love the art, so... Thank you for the honest answer. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's hard to really dissect it, but... I mean, that's kind of where I stand. Yeah. Can I take this one? Yeah, yeah, yeah you go. All right. Go, Mike. Two things. Uh, I think that the knee-jerk reaction for a lot of people to to be able, like, to whenever something goes on, they're like, I knew it. I'll never listen to this band or I'll never right. like this guy. And it's like, yeah, man, 
Would you have thought that the day before you knew this? No. So, like, why don't you just sit in your feelings for a second before you have a reaction to it? Like, I'll, I'll say it right now. Louis C.K. is one of those guys for me. Louis C.K. was like, when I first saw his specials, I'm like, this guy is hilarious. It's literally the name of one of his specials, hilarious. <laughs> and, like, I, I saw him... Uh, at the Diesel Playhouse back in in Shameless Toronto, like, is also another name of one of his. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. And, like, well, and like it, when you go back and like you piece it together, it's like he told you exactly who he was and everything that he did. So like people right. shouldn't necessarily be shocked by it. But uh, after his big like fall from grace, like I saw him at Niagara Yucks in a room of two hundred and fifty people, maybe. Really? Because yeah, when it came back, that. I'm like. There's only gonna be 250 people here, and I can see Louis C.K. from like me to this building. Mm-hmm. Done. I'm in. That's that was what was on the other side of that scandal yeah. was 250 people in a room. Yeah, yeah he did. Wow. The yucks. He did a compl- yeah, like, like a this guy. Of shows, dude, he did. He did Air Canada Center. He's do Madison Square yeah. Garden, and now he's doing Niagara Yucks for 250 people. And it's like, jeez. But this is the thing with him. He will never. He he has an audience. He will always have a built-in audience, mm-hmm. and the people. It's like a bandwagon hockey team, or like a like the Toronto Raptors or something like that. You know what I mean? Okay, they're not popular anymore. I'm not going to wear my Raptors hat, and I'm not going to start saying we the North and, and this and that. Like, I think people, it, it's quick, people are quick to fall out of favor because it's popular to be against something. The virtue because, signal. To, oh, my God. Oh, totally. so refreshing to hear. Totally, man. Like, hear someone say that, too. I, yeah. for, for the record, like, the, <laughs> the position of power that he was in, in in comedy when he did that stuff, come on, man, what are sure, you doing? Like, sure. don't do that shit. Yeah. But also... I wrote some funny jokes. Like, yeah. like Chappelle yeah. has a joke about O.J. Simpson, which is like, people like shit on O.J. Simpson all the time. It's like, with all due respect, he ran for 3,000 yards. And like, like as a football player, unparalleled. Right. As right. a murderer, also pretty up there. Like, he's really good. But, but it, it's an interesting, as a person, terrible. It's an interesting conundrum, isn't it? It's, it's like, yeah. You guys want to weigh in on this? Um, yeah, like... Like, I love rock star biographies. Like I love music, Same. big fan, love classic rock. But the more of those you read, the more you realize these are a bunch of fucking creeps, yeah. right? Bowie. Just like 14-year-olds every night of the week. Just like it's groupies. Yeah. They're <laughs> Jimmy fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, check out Flea's uh, biography called Acid for the Children. Yeah. Very good. And Mark Lanigan from Screaming Trees. Oh. Dude, check it out. All right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I was thinking today, I'm like, you know what? Biographies are my favorite thing to read. <laughs> Sidebar. Anyway. I will have to say, sorry, and to interject, it does not make what the artist has done less heinous. Yeah. I right. will yeah. just yeah. put yeah. that out there. That's what I was going to on, too. Yes. Yeah, like, ter- <laughs> terrible things these, yes. these people have done, and it's all terrible, but, like, I have so many Cosby records that I haven't thrown them out or sold them in a garage sale, and... I'm probably not going to because you can't dispute his right. legacy in comedy and what he's done. Like, yeah, it's it's terrible. But is there a party that's like, am I am I harboring like mm-hmm. child pornography by having this, or am I like, is this hate speech that I'm keeping yeah. in my basement? Like, that's the world we live in. Are people going to skewer you because you've you know? Yeah, if they, I moved it into the record. The record sleeves in a few, so they're not <laughs> right on the edge where you can read Bill Cosby as soon as you walk oh, into my den. Funny. You know? Oh, so what's what that doing there? Yeah, that's amazing. But, uh, like, there, he was a great comedian. Yeah, and also a pretty good rapist by the sound of it. Too. <laughs> yeah, yes. And that's Did you do anything half-assed? It's terrible. It's prolific. Someone. Uh, I, I have a quick story. A friend of mine, uh, his father ran the. Hamilton Convention Center for years, and somebody 
a, a large act bailed like that day and they couldn't come. And he called in a favor to like promoters is like, what am I going to do? He's like, let me call Bill and see if Bill will fly in. And so Bill Cosby flew in for $100,000 within cool. a three hour notice and just talked to the audience for two hours and had them in stitches. And that was Cosby. He, he just like, he just did it. wonder who he brought home that night. Well, <laughs> yeah, but, and like, you know, he's a terrible person. And when they like arrested him and everything, you could see on his face that he was a terrible person and he knew he was a terrible <laughs> person. And everyone now knows he's a terrible person. But like the art is the art. And I, I think you do have to separate them. And still, the person's terrible. I agree. It's like people still travel to Italy to look at the ceilings of the Sistine Chapel, exactly. knowing full well right. what that whole era, you know. Gr- great analogy. So, yeah, exactly. good analogy. Yeah. Um, I, I will say this. I think whether you know you're onto something right now, I think in time, what you guys have mentioned about a... Um, specific approach for what you're doing is going to become maybe one of your greatest ingredients of success when you said, we don't hire actors, we hire comedians. I think that is like, you're on to something very special. And I don't think you're the first, you're not the first ones to do it, but it's like, that's a thing. And I don't really have anything more to say than that other than the fact like, it's simple and it makes sense, but it's also brilliant because it's like, why would you get anyone else to do that specific yeah. job other and than just the funny people? Like yeah. Tim is just a solid, funny person, yeah. and you just give him a, like a little push, and he just, goes. Just his posture is funny, yeah. and from the little minutes I've seen him, I'm like, he's funny. And Mike, yeah. like Mike says, that's how he was around the office. So like that click in your head to be like, this guy, if we just point a camera at him, right. it's going to be funny. The difference between Tim on the show and the difference between Tim and the office is cameras. That's literally, yeah. that's, literally. And that's all we wanted from him. Yeah. We're that's just amazing. like, we're going to point a camera at you, go this route, get it to this point, and Mike will take the rest. And, like, he was he was nervous when we were talking about it, and, like, I'd run script ideas by him, like, okay, what, what do you think about this? He's like, oh, it's really funny. I don't know. Like, are you sure about this? Mm. I'm like, Tim, tr- like, do not get in your own head. Trust me. Like, just yeah. just be, man. However you are, whatever, you, however you would react to this, React. Yep. Like whatever it says on the paper, if you're like, I wouldn't react like that, okay, don't react like that. Yeah. Just just be yourself. Very Nine cool. times 100. Yeah. Biggest note for Tim was always just do it how you would do it. Like, how would you act in this scenario? There's a couple of hipsters here yelling about things not being local. Just go out there and yell at them about the Arkells or something. Yeah. What I loved about Tim was um, we had known, I had known of Tim from the music world in the past, I was like, oh, we ran this place and blah, blah, blah. But we never really like knew, knew each other. But he came in for our first, or our first like day of filming with him and Mike. And he was kind of like flustered, you know? He, he, it was like, he wasn't sure if he was gonna do it and he was kind of tripping up on the lines and stuff. And then we sort of just said like, just be yourself, to your point, Mike. And we are like, we're not looking for Tim memorizing lines. Right. We're looking for you to hit these things. Like, there's certain beats within the script and story that needed to be hit. But at the end of the day, we're like, just say it how you would say it. Do your thing. Be you. And then he blew it out of the park. And we're like, yeah. Who is this man? Like, that's, that's precious that you guys are, are nurturing that thing in somebody that would have otherwise never known that side of him. Yeah. I think that's very uh-huh. cool. 
Like, I don't think you're going to see Tim playing a lawyer anytime soon or <laughs> something, like, real buttoned up. But, like, he's doing our thing perfect. So yeah. we're going to keep getting him to do that oh, yeah. and, and seeing where we can take it to weird places. And one of the best things about it, too, is, like, he, uh, Tim's not here right now. And every time I'm like, hey, you want to do this interview with, like, exclaim, he's like, I just want to keep the mystery, man. Yeah, and, <laughs> and I'm like down for that too. Like, All right, dude. He's an enigma. Yeah, yeah whatever. He's amazing. Come knock it out of the park. And just, I just want people to make up stories about me. You know what? He is Kate Bush. Yeah. Like a little reclusive. <laughs> Doesn't do anything. Oh, he knows. He knows. So, if the comedy gods grant you season two, uh, would you? Would there be a, a big uh, discrepancy between what you've done? This time around, to what you do, like, were there, were there a lot of mistakes? You're like, no, we're never going to do that again. Or would you guys keep the formula and the approach the same? Um, from a production standpoint, there's a couple of things that, like, that we would do differently. But, like, in terms of, like, the formula and everything else, I think it's mostly the same. Like, we've, we've mapped out most of season two already. Cool. And, I, like, I'll say, I think it's... I, not only do I think it's funnier than season one, I think it's like way funnier than season one. Like, like not <laughs> even like a little bit. This is the thing, I, not to cut you off, but I'm going to anyway, because no, I, I, I realized like the importance of time. Like, I, so my wife and I watch The Office. The Office is kind of like the fireplace that's always going in the background. Um, and the first year is horrible. Mm-hmm. And it's not until like year three where it's like, oh my God, Michael Scott is Michael Scott. Dwight is Dwight. And, and, and it's like, what would some of these shows be if they were given the chance to see season three? Because it takes time to shed your skin and get into this other skin. So do you guys want to speak to that? Like, what do you think about that? Yeah, like not only that, we had to deal with the pandemic as well. Right. So we've never made a full TV production before uh, as a crew together, but also doing it through the pandemic, it was just... You know, it was an added challenge to sure. the whole thing. So I think that kind of stifled us a bit. So going into season two, it's almost going to feel easier now, right? We're going to yeah. have so yeah. much less restrictions. Write yeah. some big scenes. I know. Like the amount of, we had all these scenes with uh, music and performances and comedy shows, but we can only scatter a handful of people because of uh, COVID restrictions, right? Right. Yeah. right. So, put it, so we just movie magic, right? Just put in a few shoulders and heads to make it look more full than it is and... Cool. Yeah, if we can go off the rails and have like a big whole open concert concept, then we will. And like, yeah, we're just gonna keep what keep to what works, but just uh, you know try to get bigger and better with it. You know. Let me ask you a, a hot seat question that would that's gonna make you squirm a little bit. I love it. Do you think you have you're onto something special? Do you know that you know that you know? Yes. I want everyone to answer that one. I think we're having fun, and if we keep having fun, it's been rad so far, and it'll just keep getting rad. Yeah, I'm just going to keep riding the wave. It's yeah. just like, I thought it would break by now, but right. it's just, you know, I can almost see another wave. Just keep going. Cool. 100%. Yeah. And and the reason that I'll say that, like, with, like, with such confidence is the second I got off the phone after the first phone call, I was like, I talked to this guy for way too long for this not to be, like... Right. It's just, like, it started, it started well... And every, like I said, like everything has worked into our favor so far. And this is the thing too. If we don't get another season, it's still kind of cool. Yeah, man. Like we only got one. And like, there's people that are like, I got to see season two. It's like, well, maybe it'll happen one day. Like just go another route. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Whatever we do, it's going to be cool. Cause I think the four of us like working together. So like 
anything that we do is going to be bad. I feel like Freaks and Geeks is the perfect example of a fan base where it's like, this is so good, and it was getting good, and suddenly it disappeared. And it's like, if they could have found a way to do it another way somewhere else, it could have been. Maybe that's a horrible example. but Well, all those people <clears throat> went on to do they good did. things. Well, it's an interesting story. What is his name? The uh, Sorry? Judd Apatow. He felt so bad about that because he convinced him not to go to college. He's like, I'm, I'm going to have to now teach them how to have a career. And yeah. he basically, t- I'm sure you know the story. Yeah, and yeah. So then he did Undeclared, the so college cool. show. Right. The same <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I, I, so two questions I'm meaning to ask. First one, with Hamilton, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit that you can pick on about Hamilton. Um, and if you're a Hamiltonian, you know where the beauty is too. Are you guys, go ahead and pop that. Not much. Much better. Get your head on that. There you go. Um, <laughs> this is great. Um, what? How intentional are you being about how you want to portray the character of Hamilton? Very. Yeah. Um, and that's like I'm maybe a little bit more sensitive to it because I'm born and raised. Okay. Um, so like when you travel doing comedy and you tell people that you're from Hamilton, the first thing they're like, oh, you're from Hamilton. Are you going to stab me? It's like, no, man, I might now, but I wasn't going right. to before. Like James street. Why would you open a restaurant yeah. on James street? Have you seen James street? <laughs> yeah. Do you live on Barton? Yeah. Like, yeah, man. I actually used to live right off Barton. Yeah. It's sick. Like, yeah. don't worry about it. bike down Barton all the time. Yeah. And there's like, but <laughs> we're like, we've been very intentional to make sure that like, yeah, man, there's some ugly spots too. Sure. For sure. But every city has that. And that's not a bad thing to show that. But it's like, we're not, we wouldn't like exploit it. Like, I, so I, I talked about this in, in a different interview I did, but we wanted to have, there's a, like a well known uh, houseless person who's like since passed away. His name's Dwight, who used to hang around like absinthe and like most of the venues. And he'd always ask you if you had a quarter, and everybody knows who he is. He's the, the best dressed houseless person I've ever seen. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, because bands would like come through and like, oh, I'm gonna get this guy a shirt. There are legendary homeless dudes that are just like, oh, that's, that's, what's his name? That's the dude. The dancing guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. And so like we wanted to have him, but like not exploit him. And like we talked right. about like, how are we gonna get him in? And then he passed away in the middle of mm. filming, so it didn't work out. But stuff like that, it's like- That's cool. There's, <laughs> at, like Hamilton Harley's, like we want to have scooter gangs because so many people. <laughs> oh my God, scooters. you have to do that, man. Do you know what I mean? Even but just like, James Polaroid asking for two smokes. Yeah, that, that's, that's exactly like an it. actual conversation, like that I had walking down Hamilton. Like, hey, you got a smoke? Wait, you got two smokes? <laughs> <laughs> One time I was going to a shawarma joint and I asked this this guy who was like peddling for change. I'm like, dude, I'm gonna get you, I'm gonna get you a shawarma. And he's like. You good? He's like, yeah, man. Thank you so much. God bless. God bless. I was like, uh, no onions, please. And it was just like, okay, okay. Yeah, that's Hamilton. Yeah. I just like he owned it. That's so good, and that's I think that's exactly it. We ha- we don't obviously there are like real social issues and like there are certain things about the city that require like a lot of attention and need to mm-hmm. be addressed, and we don't want to be the ones that are like disparaging it. But there is comedy in truth. Absolutely. And when you are truthful, you find the humor. Yes. And you can't, you know, you can't argue that, I don't think. And can't, comedy is observation. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that great answer. I, uh, as a Hamiltonian, thank you for doing that, by the way, because, you know, um, there was something else I was going to talk about that very thing. That's, it's lost on me for a second. Going back to the SCTV um, analogy, which I hope you don't mind me 
mentioning that. Um, I'm a big history nerd, so I love origin stories, and I love going back in time and going, you know, Greenwich Village, all these musicians were hanging out here, and it turned into this, and like, you know, in the, in the, the valley in, in California, uh, the Laurel Canyon, and uh, Yorkville scene, and then on the comedy side of things, you learn that, you know, guys like Bill Murray and John Candy and Mick, Rick Moranis, they all, Hamilton and Toronto were interchangeable for them. They partied here, they knew. What I'm excited about as a restaurateur, as a musician, as a guy doing an interview with you guys, I can't wait to look back in 30 years from now and go, my God, we were all doing these things at the same time, working hard to make the city really cool. And I, I just like, I don't really have a point to this point. It's just like, I'm, I'm acknowledging that right now, it's, it's historical because there's, yeah. it's, it has not reached its plateau. Uh, we opened five years ago here and it was like really just picking up steam. But I love that we're talking right now on the cusp of where you're heading and what we're doing and just like I can't wait to see 30 years from now and talk about this and see how all the the lines converge and stuff like that does that yeah. make sense yeah 100 percent, man yeah. I yeah I fully agree like I it's on Twitter somewhere you can probably go back and dig it up uh I remember tweeting one super crawl one year watching the dirty nil it was like dirty nil and Arkell's played like year back to back nice. yeah and they were playing like the main stage and like people were standing on cars. There's like 60,000 people like jammed on James Street. So cool, eh? Yeah. yeah and I exactly. tweeted them like watching the Dirty Nell in Hamilton right now yeah. must have been like watching uh, Nirvana in Seattle. There you go. Before they broke. Yeah, there exactly. you go. And, like, and like, like that's what the show was trying to capture. Like yeah. the show we made was trying to capture right. all these intertwining things that are going on in Hamilton. Because like when I moved here, it was like, yeah, the artsy, you could go see the Dirty Nell and then you could go to Yucks and see you know, Manolis or whoever's around and like go down to Absinthe and run into people. And it was just like this art scene that supported each other. Like it was hilarious when we met the Dirty, when I met the Dirty Nail for the first time, these guys all knew them. Mike and I went to one of their shows and we go backstage in, in Toronto at the Phoenix. It wasn't here, but we went to their show and we go backstage and Kyle knew me already. Their drummer knew me from seeing me at Yucks. Amazing. And I was like, no, I know you because you're the drummer right. of Dirty Nail. He's like, yeah, but I've seen you do stand-up at Yucks before. Like, See, but this is why I mentioned the, the, the Cameron Crowe movie singles because it was like captured that thing. It's like, oh, man, that's Allison Chains playing Soundgarden's down the road. And there, it was like this inter, interplay of like crazy lives intersecting and all off doing their big thing. It's super cool. I have a real quick story kind of like that, Shazma. So... Uh, Dirty No won a Juno a few years back, uh, and it was when the Junos were in Ottawa, and it was like best like breakout artist or something like that. And uh, I was talking to Kyle like day of, and he's like, "Hey man, like do you have any spots coming up?" I was like, "Yeah, I'm just doing like an open mic at, at Gallagher's, like back when like open like the Monday nights at Gallagher's yeah, were a thing." Fun times. Yeah, man. And I'm just sitting there like drinking my free beer, just hanging out in the back. And Kyle and Ross walked in like with their backpacks on. I'm like. Are you guys not in Ottawa? It's like, yeah, we just got off the train like an hour ago. Came, yeah, yeah. You got nothing to do. It's just like you said, you're doing a spot. So from the Junos. Like straight, like straight from the Junos. Didn't they like, win? Did they win that year? Bar. Yeah, yeah, they won best like breakthrough artists. Like, and they took a train home. Yeah, to go watch Canada. Yeah, to go watch Open Mic Comedy. Canada, like, dude. Thanks for hanging out. Like this is That's, awesome, man. Nils actually coming on the show in a few weeks. Nice. Um, how, me, do you, how do you? How do you? How did you guys get them on the show? Like, was that was that a no brainer? Was that easy? Yeah, it was no, like we originally pitched them um, for a performance, like pitched their their manager for a performance, and like we were trying to figure out how that would look and where the venue would be. 
they're just like, I don't see how this is going to work with COVID and like, it's not going to look like a nail show right. mm-hmm. or sound like a nail show. So like, can we just stick to a, a, like an acting thing? It's like, yeah, it's no problem. Um, I, so I used to host a radio show on, on Y108, like 2015, I want to say no, like a little like punk show. Jealous. And we used to have, we used to have the dirty nail on all the Amazing. time. So like, like, like for a long time, <laughs> my show was the only radio show that would play the cool. dirty nail. And then, like, they started to pick up steam, and it's like, okay, cool. Like, you guys are have outgrown this this right, half this hour function. Yeah. Like, awesome. But yeah, like, we've always like just kind of, and, and like I, I've said this before too. Like, everyone in the art scene in Hamilton is like acutely aware of yeah. everything that's going on. Like, yeah, you know, you got to you, you know the bands. Yeah. You might not know them, but you know the names, and like you know their faces that you saw them out. Yeah. You're like, hey, uh, you're in uh, you're in dirty jeans. Big fan. <laughs> cool. <laughs> No, that's when it clued in for me because it happened to me twice with Kyle and with uh, Matt from Red Hill Valley. He's like, I see you at Yucks all the time. He's like, I go on the Wednesdays. Huh. Honest, the drummers, drummers happen to watch a lot of comedy. <laughs> <laughs> I, honestly, what I love about all the musical acts that we've had and being able to incorporate in the show, everyone is a bona fide rock star. Mm-hmm. Like, in five, ten years, it like, okay, the Dirty Nil are probably like the furthest up their trajectory, but you look at someone like Tara Lightfoot, who beast. Mike Mitchell's band used to play with her band. She's coming here a bunch. Amazing. Yeah. Like way back in the day at the venue I used to book, and to just see like she is incredible and is touring with like Emmy Lou Harris and some of the biggest names in music. And you're like, she's just so cool. Like mm. the the scene with Tara is, it, like hilarious. Yeah, like she was and she's, funny and riffing. Yeah, she was riffing. She was she just like brought her natural self and like even riffed on some stuff that like Mike said. Um, and then like you look at the Red Hill Valleys and they are so punk rock. Even though they're like a Americana <laughs> band, they are so DIY. Everything they do is themselves. Like, and they like to have fun. Yeah. yeah, and they like to have fun. So like that's yeah, we have we have just have an amazing roster of people like yeah. in this. Yeah, I love it. We got about a half an hour left, and I want to camp on the music side of things because I, I think it's I don't want to overlook that aspect of uh, the show. Are you guys good for another half an hour of time? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we can keep going. I'm having yeah. fun. But uh, funny story about the nil. So my brother and I were in a band, and we we would play Toronto all the time, and we you know all the shows and. We were being courted by uh, Warner Brothers and, and Universal. And the Universal A&R guy, like, he'd ask us some questions, but he just kept talking about the Dirty Nell. And I was like, would you yeah. stop talking about the Dirty Nell? And, and, you know, we broke up and the Dirty Nell became the Dirty Nell. But I'm like, who is this band, the Dirty Nell? But, but you know, they're phenomenal. But uh, that's really the end of my story. But Rocky, yeah, what was your band? The band was called Crooked Hill. Okay. Um, Melodic rock, cool. uh, female front uh, front person, and we uh, yeah we recorded a video on top of uh, Doctor Disc. Yeah, I love playing on that rooftop. It was, so, it was you know what maybe one of the top five moments of my life. I'm like this is what was what was the name of your band? I was in a band called Dirty Jeans. Okay. And uh, yeah, when we played at the top of there, I lived out my Empire Records fantasy. Nice, I was nice. like, oh my god, this is like the Beatles and Empire Records. Yes. Like, and and yeah. I will I will say this. I'm proud to say I worked at a record store. And you worked at a record store, and did you guys work at record stores at all? No. no. 
No, that was a, that was a small dream. So, um, okay, let's talk music because this is this is a bit close to my heart. Um, well, it's the same question, but the comedy thing. Like, I can get. I'm not here to interview myself. I I know the moments in my life that music was and the albums. I'm like, oh my god, this album has changed me forever. Let's again. Let's start. Let's go the other way. We'll start with you, Tyler. You know, talk about the the impact, the artists that have impacted you and that have helped shape. You know, yeah, musically. Um, when I was a young boy, <laughs> like maybe like 12, 13, when music starts in, like really in, interjecting into your life, I found a box of CDs in a second cousin's closet who had moved to Italy. And in that box was the Ramones, Ramones Mania. And that hooked me real deep. I'm still <laughs> like a, the biggest Ramones fan around. And then also in that box was like everything else you could like set a young kid up to be like a little punk rocker. So it was the Ramones, it was Screech and Weasel, Boogada Boogada Boogada, which another separate the art from the artist scenario, <laughs> because I fucking love Screech and Weasel. Ben Weasel is a little questionable. But, uh, and then it was Fugazi, 13 songs. And what else was in that box? Public Enemy was nice. in that box. <laughs> like that's it was quite, just, it was just like this magic box of CDs that'll shape your life. So those, I'll say those four, have really shaped my musical taste today. The Ramones, Screeching Weasel, Fugazi, and Public Enemy. That's crazy. That's yeah. so cool. And that's, Interesting. that's who I am. Okay. Yeah, I feel like that's important. You need like an older brother, an older cousin, or an uncle or something just to pass something on to you that he thought was cool, mm -hmm. right? But like I was an only child, so like I didn't, I didn't get that. My dad gave me his records when I was like 21 years old. So Punch like, it on Duran Duran. Yeah, yeah. So he always tried to make me listen to like Super Tramp and Pink Floyd. I I didn't appreciate it early on. Right. But like I think when I was six or seven, my aunt really pushed me on Elvis. Interesting. Yeah, like every time I went to her house, she'd just put on Elvis and tell me about Elvis, get, buy me Elvis cassettes. So I was like. An Elvis face. And are, now, are you? I'm still a fan. You come by like, naturally. Yeah, yeah. Have Talk you been to, to Great? About a Thursday night at eight o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> have you been to Graceland? <laughs> Never been to Graceland. No? Check no. it out. It's pretty cool. I would have enjoyed it more when I was eight, probably than now. But yeah, I was in Elvis, and then just yeah, I, I turned into a punk punk rock kid too. But it's like it's amazing how many punk rock fans there are, man. It never happened for me. Like no. I, it's it's I I, I I pride myself in saying I love you know all forms of music, but I don't know. It's just like bypassing me I don't know why Elvis and punk punk rock and then just yeah classic rock started smoking more weed started getting into more like psychedelic music and just experimental music greatest, con and greatest concert you've ever seen oh god uh, probably Bonnaroo oh, Paul McCartney at Bonnaroo yeah Paul McCartney at Bonnaroo what was, what was I, the last concert you saw before the world shut down oh god mine was Fleetwood Mac <gasps> oh good one with Tom Petty Mike, Mike Campbell from Tom Petty played lead guitar and yep. Neil Finn from Crowded House was uh, singing. It was like... It might have been King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Yeah, you can okay. see Yeah. Okay. Good band. That is a great band. All right. Here we go. Ashley. <laughs> so I think I'm going to like reveal how much of a nerd I am of just like, I really like my parents. <laughs> they were just like these really influential weirdos that like, some parents are cool, you know? man. Yeah, they're they're cool. My dad had a really great record collection. My mom was really into music. She's born and raised Hamilton, so she grew up here, um, going to all the bands and like grew up with Teenage Head and uh, Daniel Langlois. She was nice. like 
she told me a story the other night about how she was there when like he had just come home from Ireland and discovered you two and oh, they were my like gosh. Peter Gabriel and he had just left Genesis like so music has always been in my house just like music and comedy um my first musical moment that ever shaped me which is why I am kindred with Tim is Kate Bush okay Hounds of Love I was like two years old they had the um videos on Betamax if wow. you remember Betamax. Oh, I do. I'm it's old. like 1985. No, I, was, I guess it would be 87. <clears throat> and I just remember watching these music videos and being so enamored by, like, the music and the dancing and everything. And I just, from that point on, I was just always singing. So that was, like, the reason I started singing. So I would say that's probably the most influential from, like, a performer standpoint. Yep. And then when I kind of found my own music, because up until that point, it was like everything your parents listened to, uh, 1994, or maybe it was 95, I discovered Alanis Morissette. Nice. Jagged Little Pill. Oh, boy. That's a big one, man. And that was... How old were you? I think I was like 10, 11. What an era of music. Yeah. Like, I remember when Kurt Cobain died, and I was in kindergarten, and they, I remember going to the playground and someone had wrote Kurt Lives wow. paint, like on, wow. the, on the playground. So that was just before I was old enough to like really get Nirvana. Like I was still listening to the Disney Greatest Hits album. But when I found Alanis Morissette Jagged Little Pill, I was at Roller Gardens and Ironic had came out and I'm like, this is amazing. This is like aggressive and rock and roll and it's a girl. There was it, never girls. Can you can you name me something that that rivals the feeling of discovering that artist that is your artist that resonates with you and it's like Ugh. like for me like for and I want you to finish what you were saying yeah. but I want to hop on this mm-hmm. like Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden they were they were great okay but I was like a little bit like I was still trying to get over like want to be rapper face mm-hmm. at that point and it, I never really like resonated with me I was like oh that's cool that's freaky what what the hell is this. But it wasn't until grade 11 when Smashing Pumpkins came out <laughs> where I was like, oh, my God, yeah. that's my band. Yeah. They were the alternative to the alternative. And when I saw the video mm-hmm. for today, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, my God. And I'm like, then I stole the album. Um, but uh, <laughs> I'm still a diehard fan of the Pumpkins. So, like, that was my band. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. A- and uh, growing up, I learned, I learned how to, music was Jesus Christ Superstar soundtrack, yeah. Prince, and Motown. Yes. That's what I grew up with. Yep. So, yeah, uh, to throw it back to you. Yeah, no, that was... I get the sense from you, like, that was, like, your, it's, it's like you get a passport and go, this is me, this is what I look like, this is this is my music. Oh, yeah. That's powerful. It, it was the moment when, like, okay, so uh, was it Energy 108 at the time, or maybe it was still 97, it doesn't matter, but on the radio, like, I'm a little older than these guys, but like, you know, you would hear your song on the radio, like you'd hear Ironic or Hand in My Pocket or um, No Doubt, like Tragic Kingdom, that was also like my jam. Nice. And you would record it, like you try and line up on a tape so that you could listen to it again and learn the lyrics because you didn't have your own money because you were a kid. You like, you know, you can buy the records. But on the Smashing Pumpkins, that was another one of the bands that like shaped me. But I was uh, of the melancholy era. Nice. And then I went backwards because, you know. Melancholy was huge. I know yeah. I know Mike's chomping at the bit. I'm gonna let him speak. But yeah. in, in 95, <laughs> yeah. 
I was living in a basement of my friend's house and we watched Letterman and we saw this band and she was wearing bl- blonde ponytail and Dickies yeah. and a crop shirt and she growled like a bear and she was beautiful and I'm like, what the hell did I just watch? And I didn't know the name of the band and I had to go to the TV guide yep. and find out who the guest was and it said, no doubt. I'm yeah. like, what the? Yeah. And I was like, who's this band? It's amazing. Anyway. I had the same feeling. Yeah, so yeah, okay. We're not that much older. We made mixtapes too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I made, I made mixtapes. Right. I was not good at it. All right. I was pretty good. It's funny though, like like Shaz was saying earlier, like you need for sure like I'm an only child like Brandon, but you need like somebody slightly I, I feel anyway, like like slightly older and slightly or way cooler Show than you the way. like you gotta Show listen. Show you the way. And not yeah. too cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't wanna feel like a loser cool, yeah, but yeah. Um yeah, and that's that's uh, that's just it. So like I used to listen to like terrible music like growing up because I remember, I remember in grade one, there's this girl that uh, I thought was super cute, and she liked Ace of Base. So I'm like, I like Ace of Base, totally. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, whatever. Yeah, I had an Ace of Base cassette. Can I interject a with a fun karaoke game? Yes. You uh, sign your buddy up for Ace of Base, and it's called Ace of Base, and people we used to do it <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Get an Ace of Base. So yeah, that was the thing. And like, uh, I remember somebody got me a Michael Jackson history. So it was like a double yep. CD mm-hmm. uh, when I was like seven or eight, and like I listened to that like constantly. But uh, my, I had, so my two older cousins, like. Would go to Warp Tour, nice. and I was like, "What? What is Warp Tour?" And I remember um, going to their house, and they put on Blink One Eighty Two mm. Dude Ranch, and mm. it was the first time I heard "Damn It," I was like, "What is this?" Like, right. this is, and then, like, I kept running back to their five CD changer and like mm. turning "Damn It" back on, and that was the thing that was just like blew my mind. But like to your point, like before that, Jesus Christ Superstar soundtrack, yeah, like all that kind of stuff. Wow, like, yeah, man. I did Jesus Christ Superstar at the Tivoli Theater when it was a thing. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I. Uh, I, I have a three-year-old, and I bother my daughter probably daily by singing uh, Jesus Christ Superstar lines at her, yes. and, like, she hates it. Mike, like, I love that you're so telling much. me this. This is amazing. No one's ever, like, <laughs> oh, reading on them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's so cool, man. Uh, keep going. Yeah, no, that, that was the thing. But, like, I remember <clears> I can – there's specific CDs that I remember buying, and when I bought – like, I, I saved up all my allowance money, birthday money, whatever, and I got – uh, Blink-182, Dude Ranch, and Smashing Pumpkins, Melancholy. Nice. And the same thing. And then, like, I don't really remember if I bought much between then and, like, the next little while, but uh, I had a neighbor. When I turned 13, she gave me 40 bucks. She goes, hey, go to the mall, go buy yourself some CDs. And, like, in my mind, I'm like, I didn't go buy Lit. I really like that song. Nice. My, my own worst enemy. Nice. And she's like, Lit? What the hell is Lit? No, no, no. You're going to go buy Dr. Dre, 2001. Nice. And I was like, I what is that? Yeah. She's like, no, seriously, <laughs> listen to it. Like I, those are the two CDs that I bought on that day. It's, it's like it's they like, could not be so like they're so far yeah, opposite. Yeah, it's like almost famous when the, when the old I don't know if you've seen it, but the old yeah, oh yeah, yeah. one day you'll be cool. Listen to this. Yeah, it's I, I you know I did it with him. Like he was he would, I would leave for work or school and he'd steal my CDs and and I was the same way. I would like find any I was I was a fiend for music. Mm. Uh, okay, so my first concert ever was in 1983 at the CNE and it was Michael Jackson. Nice. nice. What were your first concerts? Oh. <laughs> I think mine was Weird Al. Really? Here in Hamilton. You might Cops. win. What year was that? Like. Are we talking about the like 90s? 
Yeah, like late 90s, early 2000s. Is okay. it the it Bad Hair Day tour? Because I also had that CD. It would have been like, yeah, either after that record, Alpalooza, or that was later? Alpalooza was before day. that because okay. I stole that cassette from my cousin. I was a kid. Like, I was like a, a kid. Yeah. Kid that special and like they had, there was like a bunch of kids and you're like up in the back. It was like it was at cops, I'm pretty sure. That's pretty good. We're yeah. now, eh? That was like it was like we're taking Tyler to see what he likes. <laughs> you were just yeah. meant to be in comedy your yeah. whole life, eh? Yeah, yeah. It's okay. been a goal. <laughs> Brandon, what was your first concert? Was it some punk band in Cambridge? <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> nice setup. That's great. Yeah. It was actually Weird Al. <laughs> oh, the same show? Was it? The same show? No, I saw him in Kitchener. Uh, same tour, probably. It's probably the same tour. They just came out. He just came out with that episode, that Star Wars song. What is it? Oh, that was oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, Running yeah. with Scissors. Running with Scissors. That's oh. the tour I saw. I think okay. I was the tour before, maybe. So that's not a fun answer because I also saw Weird Al. I'm trying to think of my second show. It might have been. A band in Cambridge. What about like, <laughs> I think a show? Yeah. Like, like a, a big concert event. Um, we went and saw Sum 41 in London when I was in grade 8. That would have been a cool show. Yeah, and I remember it was the first time I, I drank. Yeah. And we all snuck like a bottle of some some sweet schnapps, I want to say it was. <laughs> uh, like Bacardi Cooler. Yeah, it, it tasted good. But like between four grade 8s, like we all got significant. Significantly drunk. Grade eight hammered. Yeah, yeah. and I and I, pu- I remember puking all over pe- like everyone around me. Like I didn't warn anyone. <laughs> just, kinda, it's just it's a thing. I was like, it's coming. Should you warn anyone? No, nope. nah, just let it happen. That's yeah. a good Sum Forty One story. Yeah, I yeah. feel like it's appropriate. Well, that's very good. So good. I okay. don't remember the concert at all. No. No. <laughs> no. I feel like you got a good one. Um. Well. Okay. So the first concert I went to, like big concert, was um. Britney Spears. Yeah. On the Baby One More Time tour. Really? The original? Yes. Okay. My uncle took me. So that's 98? <laughs> uh, 99? 97. Okay. 97. Um, with my cousins. My cousins were big fans. So this was like a, hey, you, it's, you're like a, you know, junior high school. You like this stuff. But, you know, we went and my little brother tagged along and he, hated it and my uncle had binoculars and you know it was a whole thing um maybe is that disparaging anyways doesn't matter but the first concert i bought my own ticket to was the pop disaster tour which was green day blink 182 and saves the day and uh was it weezer was it weezer or jimmy world it might have been was it the salads okay opened it yeah and that to me was like, you know, we take the go train, we got right. lawn seats. The whole like, experience, yeah. Oh yeah, and that kind of set me up for like, oh, welcome to punk rock. Like I had just gotten Dude Ranch, and um, I had a best friend whose older brother showed me local bands, and that was how I got into shows. So yes, it's you know a two-sided thing, Britney, cool. and you know what though, I think there rock. has to be polarity, because yeah. oh, yeah. like. Prince and Motown, or yeah, Prince and Motown's on the far stretch, but like, I, anyway, I get it. I agree with you. Yeah, but like stuff like that, like Prince and Motown, like you don't appreciate it until later, yeah. until you're like, oh, he's real good. 
And like, but at the time, you're like, this is. I used to get in shit for singing his lyrics, and my grandmother go, "Why do you?" I go, like, oh, Darl- sure. singing "Darling Nikki." And I'm like, no idea what I'm <laughs> yeah, saying. Yeah. But it was yeah, anyway. Exactly. Uh, you know, I just remember too. So there's a Blink 182 DVD of the Pop Disaster <gasps> tour. Yeah. So Jimmy Eat World is on that tour. Yeah. Uh, and then this band called Cut You Up, which is stu- the great band. Um, but I remember the Salads played that, okay. and they're like local ish. Yeah. Um, but I remember being so pissed going to that show. Because the salads were playing in like the concourse area, and everybody stopped, so they wouldn't let the line in. So like, I missed the salads, I missed saves the day, and I missed like a little bit of Jimmy Eat World. Oh. Nice. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I was there. I, for sure, like Shaz, yeah. I'm sure we were all there. Yeah, I think we went <laughs> other way though. We probably went to London or uh, yeah. Sarnia. I think oh, they. Sarnia. It might have even been Sarnia. I was in grade eight, I think. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we were probably. That was probably my second show. Yeah. It's funny the things that you listen to as a music snob and as you get older, you, how you blow off movements. Like, I didn't, I didn't have many good things to say about Blink when they came out. I was like, because ah, I was like set in my ways and I was a good 10 years older than the people listening to them. But like looking back and hearing you guys talk about those bands, I'm like, they are as significant to you as Pumpkins was to me. It's like, there might have been a Gob show in there. As nice. Yeah. nice. <laughs> where, where is Gob from? I think Vancouver. They're from Vancouver. Yeah, yeah. They're from West Coast band, but okay. But bringing it back, Sum 41, uh, the dude from Gob now plays guitar in Sum 41. Really? So it's all, it's yeah. all connected. I definitely saw Gob back in the day. Yeah. My boyfriend's old band played with Gob at the Trashateria back in nice. the day. <laughs> nice. Nice. Pretty Relax. sweet. Nice. Yeah. My, my first show was uh, Great Big C. Nice. At, at Festival of Friends. That was a good one. Um... That was like right when Play came out too, and okay. like they were like the biggest band ever. Um, and then I don't remember what I saw after that, but the first like real big concert I went to was Edgefest two, and they did like a second version of it for specifically for Blink one eighty two. So Blink right. headlined, and it was like Blink, uh, Jimmy World was on that one too. Uh, Some forty one was on it. Simple Plan was on it. Um, like a bunch of just like pop punk Some heavy bands. hitters, man. But I, was like, I remember it was like summer of grade eight going into grade nine. I'm like, this is crazy. Wow. Yeah. This is bananas. That's uh, a good uh, coming of age yeah. concert experience. Yeah, That's... I think so. But uh, nothing beats uh, Great Big C in that festival <laughs> of friends. Right in the middle of Gage Park and everyone's like, everyone's just hammered. There's, there's a uh, on Crave. I think there's a documentary about Spirit of the West. If you like Great Big C, you might want to check that out. It's pretty good. Um, so... I don't want this to end. We're doing, I'm enjoying this, but we got, I'm trying to keep it at around a certain time. But um, when I was a kid becoming a musician, I made a promise to myself that I would, I would never be caught saying that music or art was something I used to do, that I will always be an artist, that my children will see daddy buying guitars, recording albums and pursuing the art. Um, What are the non-negotiables in your life as creators that you will not let go of as you get older? That's a tough one. So when my band ended, like 2017. When you we, used to be. When I used to be <laughs> in a band. Um, I had a really hard time with that. Like to that point where I was like, oh, I'm not a musician anymore. I'm not a singer in a rock band. Right. And, like we weren't signed to a label. We didn't have like, you know, but we, we had a little bit of success. And... I had completely discounted the fact that I had been writing and playing music since I was like 13 years old and 
for whatever reason, I got it in my head that like I was done music, I was over it. And then you get over it and you stop being like feeling sorry for yourself and you're like, oh no, I'm just an artist, I make stuff. Right. And that's what I do. So whether this year I'm playing music in a band or this year I'm writing a screenplay or I'm learning how to make a documentary, like that's sort of the non-negotiable is I always have to have room in my life yeah. and I've made it so that whatever job I have allows me to have that time to do those creative outlets because yeah without it as an artist like you will literally die that's called the, the big <laughs> so fade the big fade and yeah, refuse to do it yeah, yeah. that's great yeah. uh, who else wants to pop up on that one uh, I've just started to accept that what we do is art <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah. But like I don't know any other way to do anything. Like I've been doing this my whole life in some shape or form, creating shit, filming stuff, directing stuff, doing stand up or whatever. So like lately I've been since the pandemic even has really hammered it into my skull that you know, I miss getting out there and right. making people laugh and making shit and like us doing this project was a huge like savior for me in the mm -hmm. pandemic because I would have had nothing to focus on. It must have on. been, yeah. Like without stand-up, I wouldn't have had anything to write or focus on, but we were writing these scripts and we were focusing on directing this thing and making it a good product. So I've like taken that time to accept that like what I do is an art form and I'll never not do it because it's the only thing I know what to do. So yeah. I'm going to keep doing it as long as Brandon's around. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Tyler and I have worked together for a long time. Yeah. I love that. That's great. That's cool. We got a production company together, started comedy together. So awesome. We're in the same kind of mind frame. Just like, we don't know what to do if we can't tell jokes, right? <laughs> right. Like, if all of civilization ends, I'm hoping I can just be that guy at the fire just telling stories, right? Just right. like, yep. don't kill me yet. I got another story. I got a good one. <laughs> right. Just, just hold on to that. Like, you know, I come from a family of storytellers. I got a lot of family from out east right so okay. just you know it's just there's nothing better sitting around the fire telling the story i love telling it a joke i love simple it simple as that very cool yeah i uh i don't know that's a like non-negotiables kind of thing like i i'm kind of in the same boat as these guys it was like i'll never not be making something right i just can't like right. i can't wrap my head i can't not be busy i'm always doing something and like these guys will attest to it too like we all work like our, our full work days and then we'll get together every Tuesday night. It's like, okay, production meeting time, let's go. And like, we'll start writing jokes and like riffing and, and doing whatever. Um, yeah, I think it's just, it's super important too. And like, I found this is going to get like sappy for a sec. Since I've had a daughter, she is very much like, I like try to push her into just making things just for like the confidence of just, yeah. of just doing it. Cause she'll start, she's like, oh, this isn't very good. I'm like, who cares? Right. Just, do, just do it. Like, do it until you like until you hate it, or until you get really good at it, or you want to do something else. Like, yeah. it doesn't have to be good. Do you like it? Did you like the process? Did you like have a good time? Did you feel satisfied when you're done with it? Cool, that's awesome, man. Keep doing that. Those moments as a parent, like this is an opportunity to not yeah. screw up my child and to help steer them into yeah. healthy thinking. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. exactly it. Yeah. And like, uh, <clears throat> yeah. So I think that I'm always going to be like. I used to play in a band. I used to play drums. Uh, I play guitar now more than anything. I suck at guitar, but that doesn't matter. Like, I'll just doing pick it? it up. I'll sit there and it's like and mess around. Like cool. one day, I'll figure out how to play an entire song. I'm sure, but like halfway through. And but what I've noticed too, and like I don't know if this is like with you guys. Like 
when I'll be playing guitar, my brain shuts off, mm-hmm. and I'll just like get into like that. So you guys ever seen that Disney movie Soul? Where you're, yeah, like, you're, 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 you're yeah. in the zone, yeah. and yeah. it's like that's the whole thing. It's like you just get in the zone. So like you you access this other part of your brain, and like I'll I'll write funny stuff. Like one of the funniest parts of this is the thing. I got stoned. I was playing guitar for a little bit, and I was like, oh my god, I got it. And I came back and like was like the Chonies thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like that that stream of consciousness. Like, I love when that happens when you're on stage with a microphone and telling jokes. You know, and it just like you click into it, and it's in the moment, and you're having fun. And yeah, to hear that happens with guitar and stuff, that's cool because I'm the only <laughs> non-musical person up here. <laughs> yeah, but you probably have your own thing. Like, you are really into like BMXing and stuff like that. I so you probably yeah. Nice. So you have your own state of flow like that's what it is when you're in flow that like you said Mike your neural pathways change and when you're not focusing on the task at hand is when the magic happens my the biggest joke in my band was that like my best lyrics happened um, when I washed my hair so Mm. it was like the secrets were in my hair Mm. and then I would the song would come to me I when that. I like washed my hair. So then, like, if why we were... does it look like Ash washed her hair thirteen times? <laughs> That's exactly I it. An album. Like, I was working on a full length, but yeah, it was you know just this weird little thing. But it was like because I wasn't thinking about it, I wasn't forcing it. And however you get there, yeah. whether you like smoke a joint or you like I take like I have a lot of coffee and I just get really amped and then like go for a night drive or something. Night drives. Yeah. yeah. Come on. Oh, I, drive I just, lo- you know what I want to do? I want to get like a, a set list and get people in a van and just take them on a night drive and let them mm-hmm. listen to music. Mm-hmm. Um, That's awesome. That sounds like a great time. Yeah. I want to like somehow film that or do something yeah. like there's something there. I think because I just, I love driving with music. Um, yeah. yeah. So as cliche as the process sounds, it's, uh, it's, there's a lot of people that don't know how to figure out what their process is. I'm thinking maybe even still trying to figure that out. Um, but that's that's very very cool. You guys got ten more minutes in you? Absolutely, absolutely, hundred percent. I'm not worried about it either. Sean, how you doing? <laughs> okay. Um, I can't eat this beer. I do. I, so yeah, we've. I've been eyeing it. I know you were. Oh, sure. sorry guys. I'm sure have, are you sure you don't want any snacks, guys? These I'm, made in house. I might okay. take one home. These yeah, are, do it. These are barley. I Come on, buddy. One real quick thing before you go to the next part. Yeah. Uh, like non-negotiables. Uh, specifically when it comes to stand-up comedy, hobbyist is like a dirty word. Mm. Like you don't want to be called a hobbyist. Right. Weekend warrior. That's that's exactly yeah. it. And like I used to be like, no, I'm not a hobbyist. Like especially like when I told comics that I was going to have a kid. This is a hobby. I put yeah. my blood right. in it. And when I told like comics that I was going to have a kid, they're like, mm, well, good luck in comedy. I was like, no. I believe no, I, I probably so. you know said what? that to you. I hate yeah. staunch ideas like that. It's like, uh, no, no. Totally. You, know, you proved us all wrong, Mike. Yeah, man. And, but, but a hobbyist, too. Like, me and Adoranti have talked about this, where it's like, I don't care. If, yeah. if you, yeah. you want to call me a hobbyist, whatever, man. I'm having a great time. I, I got a good life. I never too, thought you were a hobbyist. I, thank I you. definitely thought, now he's got to do it with a kid. <laughs> yeah. He's got a different lane of jokes now. Yeah. I will have to say, you know what? It's funny you say that, because hobbyist being a dirty word, I've completely gotten to the point of my life where it's like, fuck it. Like, who cares what other people think? Yep. And like, I had a photography business for a few years. And before that, I was like a pro amateur, if you will, a hobbyist. And now I 
don't call myself a professional photographer because I, you know, don't run a business even though I know how to take great photos. And that doesn't make me less of a photographer because I do it as a hobby that brings me joy and I've removed the pressure of it paying my mortgage. Yeah. You know that, what I mean? Like, that takes big person pants to come to that realization yeah. because I'm, I'm someone who's a snob with like a label of like, well, if I'm not, if it doesn't say this, am I really not that? I think one of the, I don't know if you guys have plans on having children in the future, but I know one type of perceived death that happens when you become a father or a parent is can I still be a relevant artist now that I'm doing daddy daycare and I'm, 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 a, I'm a dad? Am I still cool? Like, that's a thing. And I've had to be like, no, it's, it's, I'm still me. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. and, but it's a head trip a little bit. There's this, there's this thing that wants to uh, negate what you perceive art is as a parent. Want to speak to that, Dad? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Do you know what I think it is? I think it's the people that are, are too weak-willed to think that if there's something else that takes up uh, a large percentage of their like time and attention, that they then can't mm -hmm. also refocus on other things. It's like, well, this is who I am. I was a comic, but now I'm a dad. And so, right. no, like you don't have to. Like that's not your only identity. You don't right. stop being yourself when you're a dad. You're still yourself. You just have a kid. It's a hard lesson to learn, though. Yeah, but man, I think I think the artist more than anybody should be able to do a lot of things well. I think so too. Because I have a, I have a great sense of pride of being. An artist because if I say I am then I'm going to do it yeah. um, sorry you're gonna say something uh, I was just, and like I don't know if this is the same it's not the same because you're talking about human life <laughs> but like it's the same it's kind of similar to like people that say like they have to be sad still to be a good comic mm -hmm. or a good right. artist right yeah. like no, you can fix yourself and still do your art. Yep. Can like, you be in love and still write a love song? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. That's interesting, like, man. Yeah, with comedy, people are always like, "Oh, well, if I, I'm sad and I'm writing the best jokes of my life and I'm killing. If I get happy, I'm going to lose all these." Do you sad think that's jokes. bullshit? Do you think that some somehow we've all been thought that you have to be a tormented soul to write great comedy? No, I don't think so. I think you can be happy and still write okay. good comedy. Yeah. If you're a funny person. Hundred percent, Shaz, you so said it. Like, I you know, ride that wave of ups and downs like many of us do. Um, and, you know, when I am actually depressed, like I'm not productive, I'm not writing songs. When things are taken care of, I'm writing in all mediums and I'm yeah. doing my thing. I can still have my like darkness, if you will, but like, I don't have to be Billy Corgan, like in love with my sadness. Too. You know, there was, a substantial part of my life where I was proud of my darkness. Oh, yeah. oh me too. Like, um, I'm, you know, I'm brooding. This is, you oh, know, yeah. I'm, uh, you know, it, it was like, yeah. you know, and, and and then you realize that once you hit 40, it's not cute anymore. It's like, <laughs> oh, you're just being an asshole. <laughs> yeah. And just because I'm doing jokes and doing art about being sad doesn't mean I'm sad right now. Mm -hmm. I, I'm right. just doing it because I was sad years ago. Mm -hmm. Right. It's still there and it's making me better not mm -hmm. doing, not you know, being that way. But that, that's a thing too. Like you, cause you can tap into that and yeah. be like, I remember, or I know what this feels like. Mm -hmm. it, it's the yeah. same thing with music. It's like writing a song, like any of that stuff. I think like with music specifically, it really comes out like somebody, like <laughs> I can't think of a better example. The first thing that comes to mind is John Mayer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A dude is a 
He's an amazing guitarist. He's he, he funny sad? as hell. And you think that guy's sad? No, but he's, um, it's funny you say that because yeah. his comedic ability is actually very oh, good, he's too. he's so funny. Yeah. And he hangs with, like, Chappelle and all these yeah. guys. It's like yeah. he's, he wants to be a comedian, yeah. but, yeah. yeah. There's there's a really he's funny sketch. He's done it. There's sketch. videos of him doing yeah. oh, it. Oh, yeah. dude, there's a sketch on Funny or Die where it's, like, writing a song with John Mayer. I remember the first time I saw it, I'm like, well, that's not fair. <laughs> like, like, that guy's beautiful. He's an amazing guitarist, and he's funny. Come on, yeah. right? But yeah. that's, like... Yeah, you just you you can feel it if you can tap into that, then you can tap into it. I don't know. So I'm I'm gonna switch gears quickly and circle back back to the show of, of this is the thing. First of all, how did you get the, how did you come across the name of this is the thing? What's I don't the know origin? if you've heard him say it thirteen say times. It. <laughs> okay, okay. So it's an ism. It's an ism. Okay. Um, and also I was like trying to think like it's been an idea that I've kicked around for a little while of naming something. This right. This is the thing. Uh, I also think that it's very funny that when you make it an acronym, it spells out tit. Tit, yeah. <laughs> so I was like... You have a lot of fun with that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you um, have been. Which yeah, I didn't totally. clue into until we were like weeks into writing. And then I'm like, hey, guys, this is an acronym for tit. You're like, yeah, I've known that for three years. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I was like, I just clued in. Yeah, but... And so like, I kind of... It, it's definitely on purpose because it is something that I say all the time. But also... I, I've noticed that everybody here has said this at least once. I said it tonight. I, I was like, you, oh, God. You I'm like, oh, no, I'm saying it. Say yeah. it a yeah. times. And, but the more that people just say it, they're like, oh, God, it's the That's clever. Show. That's right. good. Like, it's, it sticks. Yeah. Um, I'm really hopeful that you guys are going to somehow document these early days and maybe not do a documentary per se, but I, 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 can you guys do what you're doing and get it in the can and, and say this was a time in our life and have it documented because I think that this is very special. I think our whole lives are documented all the time, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> but, 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 you know, but there's, there's the finished product, but then there's the, mo there's the intimate moments where you guys are just riffing on stuff and you guys are like, you know, your life and how you came to this. That's something I would want to see in 10 years. You ever thought about that? There is definitely, uh, I'm very of the like, I love everything to be a documentary. Um, but we were very lucky to have uh, our on-set photographer, Dave Smith-Hayes, um, doing a lot of stills and like okay. behind-the-scenes photos and stuff. My only wish is that we did film more yeah. behind-the-scenes. But, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. You also get to a point where that's one more person that is in the bubble yeah. Yeah, that yeah. takes away from your cast. So, like, that was definitely a pandemic uh, hindrance, I will say. Um, well, stills is a good is a good start. Stills is yeah. great. We have so many stills, and like I have so many Instagram. And there's a great blooper reel coming up. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, we've been awesome. Working on yeah. blooper reels. That's yeah. great. We got that kind. Okay, of so stuff. you're on you're on the page. Yeah, yeah. it's it's not going to be all just the product. Like people will be able to see behind the curtain a little bit. Cool. Yeah. So we've we've talked about you know how serendipitous a lot of this has been for you guys, and and it's been a lot of open doors, which is. Phenomenal. Part of the process of creating, whether it's a restaurant, an album, is failure. And I think failure is an incredibly hot commodity to uh, build someone. Can you guys speak to what failure has taught you as a, as, as a career person? Why are you pointing at me? <laughs> <laughs> he just looks at this end of the table. You know what? Because you started laughing right away. I am pointing at myself. <laughs> because failure is a huge word in my life. <laughs> Uh, He's not sad though. I'm not sad He's at not all. Sad. No, failure just keeps pushing you forward. Like that's literally how we've gotten this far. Like we've said already, Brandon and I have had a bunch of 
failed attempts and scripts, but we never look at them as failures because they're always a project that just didn't make it. Right. Like, we've pitched a ton of stuff and we've made a ton of short films that have gone nowhere and we have YouTube videos that have 100 views and we have some that have 6,000, 7,000 views and those are cool. So it's like, whatever, you just... It's not a failure if you're having friends, if you're having fun with your friends and you're having a good time with your buds. 100%, yeah. Like, I've failed a lot of things in my life and again my band is my family so like I I talk about them in the past tense but they're also like my best friends so like when I tried my photography business when I you know tried to start an all-girl punk band at the age of 27 which is like over the hill in (laughs) punk rock years um you know there's these things where you're like oh this is a failure this didn't work out that's a failure but they would say like you're so not afraid to like jump off the cliff and that was ultimately our demise because they were more like I'm just not a jumper man like you're a jumper and you'll jump and then like the net appears if you've like heard that cliche but like yeah failure you learn so much from and if I was you know knocking everything out of the park like I would be an unbearable human and (laughs) Mm -hmm. I would hate myself Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. it's like failure keeps you humble but failure teaches you everything like nobody learns from a fucking A plus and good job yeah you learn from the C grade that says like you know if you like turn this in on time or actually like studied you would have blah 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 and timing is everything. Like a lot of things in my life right now, that if I got them one year earlier than when I got them, I would have blown them up. Exactly. So yeah. you know what I mean. Like from 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 meeting my wife to this business to yada yada yada. It's like oh, yeah. you know, if you would have caught me a little sooner, this would have gone in flames. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. You know, you gotta small, you gotta fall and smash your teeth open yeah. a few times. I love you know? Like physically, uh, you have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> anyone else want to jump on that failure train? No, I'll jump on it. Um, say, yeah, same kind of thing. I think like. Uh, it's been something that I have kind of looked back on and like redefined failures, which is like such an arrogant thing to say. But like, I just redefined my life. Yeah. And if I just reframe this, then, but like, it totally is true. Like, right. stuff that I thought was a failure at the time, I look back, it's like, well, I wasn't equipped to succeed with this. Right. No, my name's gonna take it. No, that's yeah. fine. <laughs> I, I wasn't equipped to succeed with this at the time. To your point, it, anything that is happening in my life right now, if it happened a year earlier, yes. would have, would have, it would have blown up. Isn't completely. that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like timing is everything, but it's also like I, like I firmly believe that people are a product of their experiences. Mm-hmm. And like I say this all the time, and I said this to, to Barry Taylor when we were on set. I go, hey, man, every single thing you've done in your life has led to us sitting here right now. <laughs> it's, it's so true. But like, I, but, so Barry, like, like a step back, like we used to work together at Y108. So Barry was the announcer. And I was just like the street team guy that would like schlep stuff around. And I would say that to him uh, uh, probably every weekend. Like we sit in like a goddamn cornfield or something at like a rib fest that no one's at. No one's coming up to talk to us. Just bored to tears. I'm like, yo, Barry, every decision you've made has led to this right now. How are you feeling about your life? And he's like, don't do this, man. I don't know. But like, it's totally true. What did, we, we say, should... what did he say to you when you said it when we were on set? He just goes, yeah, yeah. Barry Taylor's yeah. the owner of Comedy Records, like the comedy record label in Toronto. Cool. He, he's done a th- million beautiful things for the comedy industry in Canada over the last 10 years, mm-hmm. and his record label puts out the best comedy records that we have. So we got him to come out and uh, be in a scene with Mike because they knew each other from their old radio days. I love it. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. But again, to, like, to the failure points, and not to cut you off, man, no, no. but like, we, when we worked together at the station, 
he had just launched Comedy Records, and he's like, I don't know, man, I'm going to do this, I guess. Nobody like, else was doing no it. No one else yeah. was doing it. And now he manages K. Trevor Wilson who, from Letterkenny, who's like, arguably. Really? Like a, a North American. The funniest American, guy yeah. in North America. And, but like guys where he's like, yeah, these are funny people that I know from doing stand-up. I'm going to, like, I know enough people in the music and entertainment industry mm-hmm. that I can probably get some inroads and put some records out. So I'm going to do this. And whether or not, like, it, it blows up in my face, I, whatever. And to speak to that point, Brandon and I were just two young guys in our early 20s in Toronto when Barry was starting Comedy Records. Mm-hmm. And we were like, fuck, if he's doing it, we could do it too. But let's start doing specials for guys. So we started filming comedy specials for guys like Pete Zedlacher and Tyler Morris and Rob Pugh and all these amazing comics. So it was like seeing what Barry was doing... Mm-hmm definitely set a seed into what we started doing and then we had him on our fucking show. Very cool. Yeah. You know, I think I think success has a lot to do with being a little bit reckless, a little yeah. bit lucky, a little bit talented and then once you once you've landed it having the responsibility to see it through. Mm-hmm. Um that's it's just it, we used to play horrible gigs and be like one person and we look at each other and go we made, we made it, man. Exactly. We yeah, made yeah. it. We made yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so this is the thing. I, 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 we've we've wonderfully strayed far from the show, which which is my hope. But I want to land back to the show as we wind down. Um, if you guys can speak to the best way to get a hold of the show, even if like, is there is there any options that if, of seeing it if you're not on Fibe? Like, what what are your guys' plans on getting it to as many people as possible? Yeah, like the official PR answer is uh, please watch it only on Delphi, <laughs> nowhere else. Yeah, guys. Uh, it's definitely not available. Now, it'll, it'll probably be, like we have plans to push it out uh, on YouTube. Uh, so Bell has a window of exclusivity for 30 days oh, okay. that we are very near to. I so, see, like, okay. Once we hit that, thir- like day 31, it's going up. Okay. Um but like but, we've sent it around to press, and this is totally press, so we'll send yeah. it. If like, yeah. a YouTube yeah. link ends yeah. up in your inbox, yeah. Yeah. and it's private, just keep it private. Yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah. What inbox? Yeah. Uh, what about? Uh, sorry. Go yeah, ahead. I was gonna say also, um, and every one of these little answers, I I always retaliate with, unless there's some, you know wish granting superpower out there that desires to license the show after our 30 day exclusivity contract because if you don't put it out there (laughs) it won't you know you don't have the opportunity to manifest so i want to borrow a phrase from tyler (laughs) shazma why would you (laughs) (laughs) and say uh this is a direct tyler shazma quote if some big dick billionaire <laughs> Someone's got to make a business card with that on yeah, there. Yeah. Here I am, Tyler Shazma, big dick billionaire. That's amazing. Uh, if some big dick billionaire wants to come along and say, like, hey, man, I love your show. Hey, Eugene Levy for sure is listening to this right yes. now. Yes, oh, yeah. um, yes. Hamilton guy. Pick this up, man. Come on. Sure. You know what, Help man? I think that was ad-libbed a bit. <laughs> <laughs> and not to steal any of your thunder, but, like, we're sitting in this restaurant right now because something like that happened to me. Like, that stuff happens. If people see yeah. something in you, mm-hmm. like, if I had the money, and based off what I've seen, I would do exactly what you're saying. Like, Amazing. it's out there. It's, it really, really is. Timing is everything. Yep. Uh, so in terms of website information, uh, social media, what's the best way for people to take a look at you before... The, the, the platform expands yeah um so we have a website there's not much on it right now so it's, this is a thing.ca but it's like literally like our trailer and all the social links so 
Uh, Instagram is tit.hamilton. Uh, TikTok is tit.hamilton. Okay. Two T's um, on that. T-I-T-T. -T -T. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I think all of our, we don't have Twitter, but like Facebook might actually be the same thing. But like, we post a lot of clips on, uh, on Instagram and TikTok. I was like really hesitant to get on TikTok, and then we posted some clips, and there's the way TikTok's more views. a thing, man. There are way it's more views thing. on yeah. TikTok yeah. than there are on like our YouTube channel yeah. or anything else. It's like, all it's right, the new... I guess we're gonna do this. Is, is there a tattoo uh, in the mix with the, with the crew of a of a tit or uh, some some kind of a moniker? That's a great idea. Yeah, I really think you should. Face. Yeah. First year's wrapped. You really should do something yeah, yeah. to uh, whatever. We should just all get two smokes. Two yeah. smokes. Yeah. Two smokes. <laughs> yeah, we gotta get Jeeves in on yeah. that. The crumpled yeah. beer can. Hamilton Hello. Yeah. Hamilton, Hamilton Hello is nice. my favorite. Yeah. yeah. So as we wind down, I, I gotta go down the list one more time. Uh, give me a give me a uh, for me one of my bucket list people to get on here is I, I want to talk to Daniel Lenoir. I want to get him on here and chat with him because uh, I grew up on YouTube. Favorite band of all time. Um, Tom Wilson's another one I want to get on here. Great guy. Um, so so yeah, we all have we all have plans. Uh, Alec Baldwin is somebody that I could see doing very well on a comedic show. He's he's one of the rare birds where he can act and he's mm -hmm. funny as hell. Start with Mike. Who would you love to get on the show? Uh, weirdly enough, we just talked about this the other night. So the singer of this metal band, Every Time I Die, is this guy, Keith Buckley. <clears throat> uh, they're from Buffalo, one of my favorite bands of all time. Keith Buckley is hilarious okay. as a person, but like six degrees of separation kind of thing. So like he's friends with uh, George from Alexis on Fire, George from Alexis on Fire's wife, Megan, is a comic that we all really? know. Really? Is George like, still living in Hamilton? Yep. Yeah, okay. he's still living in Hamilton. He's a firefighter. Yeah, like, I heard that. Yeah, and like, we, we, so that's one of those things that we talked about earlier. Like, we wanted to get George and Megan on the show. And Megan, because yeah. Megan's hilarious yeah, and, and a like, good friend. And we had a good, like, a, a pretty good scene written for them. And Megan's like, this is really funny. We would love to do this. But George is a first responder right now, and I am a massage therapist. And it's like this is like right in COVID. Right. She's like, we literally we can't risk it at all. It's good to know they're willing to do it though. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'm putting that out there. Keith Buckley's like the thing for me, but also like I don't know, man. Like comedic, like comedic actor. That's a tough question. Maybe we'll get Dan Levy. What's, he's not doing anything. He's not busy. <laughs> yeah, Danny will do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I tried to get Wade McNeil on the show. He hadn't. He didn't answer. We'll see. We'll ask him about it. Wade, a year we, we could get Wade. Uh, yeah, the the whole Levy thing, that's a whole other conversation we can have about Hamilton's success. That's insane what happened with those guys. Ash yeah, I, you know, we, yeah, we talk about this all the time. Who should we get? Who could we get? Uh, da, da, da. Um, I don't really have, like, a bucket list person for the show. More so just, like, who would be amazing to get. And I would really love to have, like, Mickey DeSatist or... Um, like Teenage Head or like any cool. of the old school Hamiltoners, like that would be a cool nod. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I actually have no preference. <laughs> cool. cool. What's what's the tie cat uh, paraphernalia uh, scenario in your show? You, you guys touch on the oh, the tie cat nation? Yes. <laughs> we actually talked to a, a great guy named I think his name was Mike as well early on where we were like, uh, hey, we're, we're uh, playing with the idea of having one of our hecklers, um, who actually is our director, Tyler Shazma, <laughs> in episode two, uh, decked out in Ticats gear. Um, can we use your brand? Like, can we use your brand mark? And he's like, well, send me a script. So we sent him the script. He was one of the first people that like, outside of our bubble that actually was able to give feedback and read it. 
And he was like, oh, this is so funny. This is so great. Oh, my God. Yeah, I can't wait to see it, which reminds me, we have to send him a awesome. clip. Awesome. Yeah. But, yeah, like, they were so on board. And because, you know, they were like, as long as it's not disparaging or, like, aligning us with any, like, you know, terrible, right. like, hating uh, organizations, like, yeah, it's great. It's so Hamilton. And you can't have a show about Hamilton without including no, no. It's Hamilton like New York and the Yankees. Yeah, yeah. I got gotcha. you. Very cool. Brandon, what do you, what, who would you want to get on there? Uh, well, after going through season one, in the amount of times we've said the man's name, I think we need Kim Mitchell. Yeah. On the show. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we do need. Yeah. That's a good fit. Yeah. I bet might, you he'd do it. And there's a good three or four Kim Mitchell jokes in the show. So Every I think it's. Episode. Yeah, it's about time he, he gets on. Have you been really time. obscure and done anything about Max Webster? Yep. Yep. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. you guys know what's going on. We've done our history. <laughs> yeah. Like, they're all insults, but it's also like a compliment to him. Yeah. <laughs> I could see him doing it. What about you, man? Uh, yeah, you guys all picked like real obtainable stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, and yeah, definitely like Teenage Head, the, the uh, guys from Teenage Head would be sweet to get in somewhere on the musical side of things. But I'm just going to go out and say Martin Short. Nice. And put it into the universe. And I want him to wear a tuxedo and I want him to be down by the docks and just get splashed by a boat. <laughs> <laughs> you want him to he could sell it. He could sell it too. He could get him to do Jiminy Glick too. Yeah. Oh. oh man, if we could get Martin Short and Steve Martin. Yeah, I'm not putting that. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> the Jerk is like one of my favorite movies of yeah. all time. If we got Steve Martin, I, I don't know if I'd be Somebody, as cool as I always am. The, the comedian Richard Mole, I don't know if you know who he is, but he, he played Roseanne's boss in yeah. the show Roseanne. He said uh, of Steve Martin, there's nothing more funny than an incredibly intelligent man choosing to be silly yeah exactly. and i'm like that is the perfect synopsis of someone like steve martin yeah but uh, i'm gonna say martin short yeah. and have martin short on the docks in a tuxedo you know what man people <laughs> everyone started somewhere and i think there's a lot of them that would remember that and say yes to something like that you never know yeah. i would love to just like direct martin short and, and just like spend a day just okay. like seeing what yeah, he like, would do to make our show funny right but what are you gonna do if martin short's like so Mr. Director, like, do you have any notes for me? I would say stand on that dock and get splashed by a boat in your tuxedo, Martin. Just be you. Just be yeah. you, man. Just be you. So yeah. we, we've done, sorry, you were going to say something. No, I was going to say, like, in that vein, we might as well just, like, get Pete Davidson, because he's, like, kind of looks Hamilton, right? So. Pete, Pete, Davidson, Pete Davidson looks more Hamilton than most of the people in the show. Yeah. Did you guys see the show, the movie, uh, what was that? I can't even think of the, uh, Ben Burr, no, uh, Bill Burr was in it. King what? of Staten Island. That was a great movie. It. Loved it. I really, really enjoyed it. Judd Apatow, man. He, he's, yeah. I love him. Apatow. He's the best. Yeah, and I'm a big Judd fan, too, and I read his book and everything, and yeah, I definitely... In directing terms, help me. You know what's really funny is like we're talking about bucket list stuff. It was like a, I tweeted at Kevin Smith the other day mm. and Jay Barish. Yeah, Kevin. Nice. Jay would be great Kevin's too. Yeah. List, yeah. Again, no one's doing anything. What are you guys doing right now? <laughs> yeah. they're, they're for sure way busier than all of us combined. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. it's a pandemic. What are you doing? A couple of historical things happened tonight. First of all, we cracked the hour and a half mark. We're getting close to two hours. That's the first for us. And uh, having four guests on at the same time, that was also a first. This was. Really fun. Thank you, guys. Oh, to think that an hour and a half ago, I didn't know any of you. And now uh, I'm going to call us friends. I would love to have, I don't know when and how, but someday down the road, I'd love to have you guys on again and, and catch up with all of your exploits and what you're doing. 
You guys want to be in season two? Yeah, that yeah. was. I was like, can I ask that question? Because yeah, I think yeah. I might. Please put yeah. me in the show. Yeah, I have make lots, it location. I have here? lots. Yeah. I have yeah. lots of experience in acting. I, yeah, you can use this location too. Oh, done. Uh, and uh, if you're in the, I'll give you guys all my number. And if you're in the area, we'll hook you up mm. with some coffee and some treats. Yeah. Um, don't tell my partners. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> But you guys, I, I, I meant what I said. I'm, I'm watching with great expectation. Uh, and and uh, I don't know what's going to happen with the show, but I know that out of this uh, think tank, it's going to be good. And uh, a thousand thank yous for taking a chance to come on this uh, Nobody podcast. But I'm believing that we're going to grow as you grow. And um, hopefully you guys can spread the word on social media as well oh, when we're done here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Mike Mitchell, Brandon McIntosh, Tyler Shazma, and Ashley Sloggett, thank you from the bottom of our heart for being on this show. All right, thank, thank you, you guys. Thank Thanks you. for having us, Rocky. Yeah. Of course. Thanks. Talk yeah. soon.